Hello and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. My name is Rory McNamara and yes, it is that time again where we cast our critical eye over the previous 12 months of professional wrestling, the good and oh yes, the bad. Of course, this time out, only one promotion to stink to, to stink our teeth into. <laughs> I'm keeping that one in, Freudian slip in the first minute, to stick our teeth into, just to give myself away a little bit there. And it's all going to be a lot of fun as it normally is. Three esteemed guests with me today. Uh, Eric Landstrom is here. Eric, how are we doing? Doing great, sir. Uh, uh, just here to enjoy the other uh, great year wrestling uh, 20 years ago podcast uh, uh, here with my guys here. And uh, let's see see what these awards uh, shake out. This was a, a unique year, if anything else. Chris Lacey is here. Afternoon. Here again for another year of ranting about <laughs> shit shit and praising the good shit. There is a bit of it. It's slanted a bit one way this year, I think, Lacey, but there are some positives to be found. A few diamonds in the rough, if you will. Yeah, as I say, there, there has, when it's been good, it's been fucking really good. It's the shame that the baseline's been shit. <laughs> oh, we'll get there. We'll get there very, very soon. And as for Chris White. This is the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, presented by Chris White. I've been doing this seven and a half years, Chris. I didn't get that. But sometimes it's, it's just who you know. It's, it's, it, it would appear so. Yeah, yeah. The powers that be have deemed the uh, this, this show needed sprucing up and has made some changes around here. <laughs> An esteemed work colleague we can thank for that one, Chris White. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, it was a lovely secret Santa gift uh, that found its way into my inbox uh, last month. And uh, here it is on the show, loud and proud. Happy, happy to... Uh, have a new edition. Uh, I'm with you on loud. We'll talk about proud. <laughs> Words definitely need to be had. Right. You should know the draw by now, even if this is your first end of year review show. So I'm going to skip very quickly through the bit that everybody fast forwards anyway. So very, very quickly. End of November, beginning of December, I sent out a few categories for the guys detailing the best and worst in the WWF slash E in 2002. And they gave me their top three nominations, which I worked into a final three for each category. Uh, we will then discuss each category one by one. And after about eight to ten minutes of bartering back and forth, the boys get to choose their ultimate winner. And quite simply, the nomination that gets the most final votes wins that category. In the event of a tie, I will step in, as happens far too often. It's normally Chris White who sets me up for these sort of things, and I'm expecting him to do so again at least once in the course of the next couple of hours. Uh, we were going to have Dan Welling on tap for this, as he has been for the previous four years. But guys, can you believe this? How inconsiderate can you be? He only scheduled his birthday on recording day. I mean, come on. Have you ever in your life? It's just rude. Just we, plain, plain we, wrong. We've got to release that guy, pal. <laughs> Oh, just you wait. It's definitely getting close to spring cleaning time. But he cast his nominations a few weeks ago, so they have gone into the final reckoning. He will still be taking part over the next two hours, I will explain. But the only thing we need to do right now is crack straight into our first award, and it is our Tag Team of the Year. And who do we have? So we have the Dudleys, the Hardys, and Edge and Chris. Oh, sorry. Force of Habit. <laughs> Bit of a different one this time out, is it not? We've got Los Guerreros. Billy and Chuck, and Benoit and Angle. Lacey, I think we have to start with you on this one. Bit of a shake-up at long, long last in the tag team ranks. I know, right? Well, you know, the Dudleys were there for, a, as they say in America, a cup of coffee near the end, back end of the year, um, but not enough to warrant being in this call this year. So, uh, 
yeah, we've had uh, some new new blood into the tag team ranks. Um, I will start with Billy and Chuck um, for having to carry the weird part of the year when we had the draft and they split up all the established tag teams and put them all on different shows. They were the one constant and kept going and had decent matches with a lot of makeshift teams. Um, add to that the absolute abomination that they did to them at the end when they had the the marriage that wasn't a marriage and just to get ratings and have Rosie and Jamal come out and Bischoff be weird. But a really strong year for one guy, Billy, who has obviously been a tag team guy for many, many years. And Chuck, who, when he came in with the invasion lot, wasn't good. Um, but has proved that there is some talent there that we did see at the back end of WCW. But yeah, he, he's acclimatized himself to the, the Fed style, taken what could have been a fucking car crash of a gimmick and made good for the year. Um, the Guerreros, they are, you know, Eddie Guerrero is a fucking stalwart in wrestling. He's amazing. Chavo, I always thought he was a bit shit back in the day in WCW with his little rocking horse. But he has proved that he can shift himself about and do some work. And really fucking good tag team. They work so well. The family stuff has been fucking great. Some of their promos, especially on some of the UK shows, are great. And then we've also got Benoit and Angle, two of the best wrestlers in the world, teaming up, having some of the best matches in the tag team world. It has been a hard year to pick these between these lot because out of, you know, what we expected to be absolute dross when Dudley's get split up, the Hardys get split up and E&C are gone. These three all pulled their weight and were fucking awesome. I will just say this, Lacey. Thanks for the reminder of Pepe the horse. But compared with some of the shite we've got to talk about later, Pepe the horse, you know, looks like red rum in comparison to some of the pulled up at the first we'll be discussing in about an hour's time. Uh, but, yeah. but now, you're gone. Yeah, it's one of those of uh, WCW shit to two twenty or 2002 Fed shit. Different kettles. Same pond. Eric Landstrom, bit of a test this time out in tag teams, I fancy. Yeah, this was a really tough year without the Dudleys really doing uh, much of anything to speak of. Um, this really has become the Dudleys Memorial Award uh, in a lot of ways. It's interesting. I look at this category and I think there's uh, three uh, distinct uh, ways to categorize these three teams that we've settled on. We have the great work team, which is the Guerreros. We have the almost great gimmick slash WWE team and Billy and Chuck, who also have a banger theme song, which can't be discounted. And then I think what we have here with Benoit and Angle is we have an example of what the best possible tag team in the world could be. And they had one, you know, uh, extremely notable match. And, you know, they were their paths crossed a lot this year, one form or another. So it's just an interesting way to look at this. We don't have a clear winner like we've had with the Dudleys, in my opinion, for the last couple of years. Some uh, uh, campaigning for Lacey and I uh, towards that end uh, aside. But really, really interesting to see we have the work team, the the gimmick team, and then the all-star team. 
Chris White, you've been through the ringer with the WWF slash E tag team divisions over the over the years, to put it mildly. So what do you make of this list? Look, the first half of this year or so, I was quite concerned we were returning to years gone by where the tag division was one of the lower points. And then this award's always a bit of a chore because it's like, who's out there that is earning my vote? And there's just sparse selection to be honest and i'd say billy and chuck deserve some credit well to be fair basically all the credit for that sort of first half of the year they are like the one bright spot of it um and probably the way their story has sort of developed and as Lacey's already mentioned like the the wedding and the, the all of that and then like the sort of controversy that surrounds it with like how uh apparently wwe lied and sort of promised that the characters would come out and wed on air and like the things like that and it probably through no fault of either guy discounts them from my vote if i'm being honest and then that leaves me with the other two teams both of whom who have been excellent this year um i know quite comfortably who i'm going to give my vote to um and it, and I'll probably just hold that until it's time for the votes, to be honest. But it's not been a stellar year, but <laughs> I think we've probably had a tag match this year that's as good as any we've ever seen um, while discussing these award shows. And but I can't think of a straight, like there's many straight tag matches that have had significant chances of winning our match of the year award before and i think that speaks volumes about how the second half of the year while not like your classic bread and butter teams of like the hardys or the dudleys uh obviously los guerreros are slightly different but certainly when it comes to Benoit angle much more the two singles guys put together in a team even though there's a bit of story to it through sort of like how they were feuding beforehand and stuff it's not classic purist tag teams in the sense that they're not like gimmicks and they're not packaged together but they've just put on some of the best tag matches i've seen and that goes back across any of the last five years not just this one i said earlier that dan welling is still going to participate in this round and what i'm going to do is his number one pick for each category i'm going to count as his final vote or at least i would here because his number one pick were booker t and gold dust who didn't make the final reckoning interesting so I'm going to take his number two pick, Los Guerreros, who did make the final three. So it's a vote for Los Guerreros at the moment. Let's go around the board to vote with Chris Lacey first. I am going for Billy and Chuck. So that's Los Guerreros one, Billy and Chuck one. Eric? Billy and Chuck. Chris White? For their part in the No Mercy match, I'm going to go Ben Warren Angle. Oh, okay, so Billy and Chuck sneak in there. And it should be said they only just made the final reckoning by a couple of points and they've come out of tag team of the year. Wouldn't have been my first choice, but on the other hand, I do really think they have it. They've taken the ball and run with it, I think is the most non-euphemistic description I can come up with for the last uh, seven or eight months of action. Anyway, it's a bit disappointing that they've just become a bog standard Johnny Boots and Tights. In fact, I don't even think there's still a tag team anymore. Chuck Palumbo just is, well, Chuck Palumbo now, and he was vaguely interesting for a few months back there. But Billy and Chuck are the example of, you know, in the WWE, you so often have to try to do this. You're given something and 
you have to try to make it work. It might not be your first choice. I doubt this is the first, second or third or even 500th choice. But through sheer force of will and support from one or two very surprising quarters, they got there. So surprising victors, but at the same time, I think I'm OK with it. Tag team of the year, Billy and Chuck. So over to award number two, feud of the year. And again, looking at the three that made it does just lend a little bit more credence to the fact that 2002, probably not the strongest of years in the awards pantheon. This is the hand we've been dealt. So feud of the year, our winner will come from one of Angle and Edge, Undertaker and Brock Lesnar, and Triple H and HBK. Uh, Chris White starts off with this one. I think Triple H and Shawn Michaels is really unfortunate that we've we had the final pay-per-view of the month we did and it feels like they kind of blown through what could have been and perhaps should have been a, a big WrestleMania match between the two because I I think despite and I think we've aired them along the way definitely like Survivor Series and, and things like that despite some bumps in the road it's not the perfect feud and certainly I think all of us here may have done things slightly different along the way having Sean come out of retirement and have the match he did at SummerSlam and I think and for me one of my favorite moments of the year was him winning the title at Survivor Series whether it's the right or wrong decision especially in the light of him already having lost the belt is is a is another discussion but I think the story they told to get to SummerSlam, the performance Sean put in at SummerSlam, the match itself, uh, and then having him having that sort of the Triple H versus Shawn Michaels feud be the thing that really was at the heart of his title win. And even though it maybe didn't get the build it deserved, I very much enjoyed their main event last month. So I, I think um, for me, it's a really strong contender even though it's not perfect. I think it's it's a strong contender and probably, like you said, it's a strong contender in this year. Um, and perhaps maybe if something had those bumps a couple of years ago in any of the years gone past, I don't think it would have had much of a shout, which probably does, like you say, speak to the overall um, quality and consistency of the feuds we've been given this year. Edge versus Kurt is really interesting. And I think one of the best things about that is the elevation of edge we like i think all of us here would say we would expect kurt angle and edge to have great matches together but he really delivered in terms of uh being like we all we all know edge is a really charismatic and funny guy because of his work with christian over the years but i think the way him and angle work together shows that he can carry a sort of main event level an upper card level feud as a single star um i think throughout the entirety of their 2002 storyline they sort of did it in the proper way I th they had a great match at backlash and edge looked uh very impressive in the ring probably better than i thought he would do at this stage of the game and we've had debates in years gone by about how well edge would sort of fare as a potentially one day main event level singles guy and obviously he's not main event in the sense of uh carrying challenging repeatedly and carrying a, a heavyweight title or the wwe championship or anything like that but he's 
I think he's closer now than he's ever been before. And that's largely because of this feud and the elevation that and the generosity that Kurt Angle showed him within the feud. And uh, the program with Angle is probably that first step that makes people who are maybe more on the fence with his trajectory slightly believe Edge as a future higher up the card. Uh, Taker versus Brock, I think, is there for me. This is here. Obviously, the uh, match at uh, No Mercy was uh, was very, very good. But I, I think this feud has sort of made its way onto here by a virtue of everyone being so goddamn impressed with how amazing Brock Lesnar's 2002 has been. And I don't think the feud itself, for me in any other year, would be a contender for the Feud of the Year award. Uh, and maybe that's some anti-Undertaker bias seeping through as well. But I don't think there's oh, enough there. <laughs> yeah. But I just, I don't think there's enough there for me um, that would necessarily make this uh, Feud of the Year candidate. Yeah, Eric, I'll admit I struggled with my own nominations for this one. Two of the three that finally made it only really lasted for about two months. And the other one didn't end all that well. So take me through the board. Yeah, tough year for feuds, and, and I really echo pretty much everything that Whitey said about Triple H and HBK to the extent that I don't have anything more to add to it. I think they had a natural build. I think they had a match that is worth the praise that it gets at SummerSlam, even though I think we pointed out some of the problems maybe that a, a keen critic could uh, raise with that with that match. Uh, for me, Angle and Edge just doesn't quite have the 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 genesis qua the that main event feel that you need for a feud of the year i don't know if we'll be talking about angle versus edge in 2002 in five years i think we'll talk about how edge had a great 2002 how angle is one of the best workers in the world and can elevate pretty much anybody but i don't know that that's a feud that i'm going to look back at 2002 and say man that was the angle edge year you know what i mean i think for taker brock Again, Whitey made very salient points about how this is really us appreciating Brock Lesnar more than anything else. But they did have a, a, a well-done, several-week-long kind of territorial-style feud that culminated in you know a couple of matches and that Hell in a Cell match, which we'll probably talk about again later, uh, at least uh, to, to some to some mention uh, as a as a problem that I have with how some these things may have uh, shaken out in other categories, but they had an incredible Hell in the Cell match, one of the best that we've ever seen. And it elevated Brock, and uh, The Undertaker showed that when he's motivated and paired with the right opponent, he can put on a good match. So I think for me, nominating that Taker-Brock feud was one of, you know, me looking at this a little bit differently, not that they feuded for nine months, but that they had a feud and the blow-off match was incredible. And that's just sometimes how feuds work. So uh, again, not a great year for feuds. I think Triple H and HBK is the obvious one, but I think Taker Brock is worth discussing just because I think, you know, if you take the the, the whole package of what it was and what it delivered and how it kind of culminated, I, I think you can make an argument that Taker Brock was probably better executed than Triple H and HBK because of all, all the problems with their December quote-unquote blow-off, how Sean kind of got hot-shotted with the belt. I don't know if that was really 
meaningful, you know, beyond a, a one month thing to talk about. We'll see. But, you know, I, I'm pretty well in lockstep with with Whitey, other than I do think there's meaningfully more value in the Taker Brock feud than maybe he saw. In a year of hot shotting, hot shotting was at its best. This when it came to like picking stuff, it was really hard because every other year we've had shit that gone for six, seven months, a year, even a couple of years in feuds. But with the brand split and everything else, it has really been the year of hot shotting stuff to a month, two months at the most. Um, Angle and Edge is a perfect example of what you can do in a really short time with a couple of mid carders at the time to give them a purpose. Rock and Taker, what do you do when you've got a brand new beast and a monster? You put him against an established monster and you let them have at it and you get that Hell in a Cell match. And then you've got the one of, oh, the guilt. You know, this year we had two feel good comebacks of that had really good matches that came out of it. One being Hogan um, for that very short period up till Mania and then Sean coming back and at first, it was fucked a little bit with him being in the NWO for no apparent reason. Then we got, oh, he's going to come back and have a match. But it was one and done. And then he came back and gets his great moment with the confetti, winning the belt. Um, and we got from Hunter, him going from babyface where he was around King of the Ring when this all sort of the seed started to be planted to being a cunt. And, you know, that is the only one that's been over a period of time. Um, whereas I've in previous years, we've had stuff that has, has gone for the whole year. Um, so a really hard year for feuds. Um, but you know, I'll get my vote in now so we can get it cracking on. I'm going Hunter and Sean just because it's had more time and actually lasted more than a couple of months. Hey, that's the way, Lazy. Straight in there, no messing. Uh, Dan Welling, by the way, our absent friend, shows Angle versus Edge as his number one pick, interestingly enough. Chris White? I'll go Triple H and Sean. And Eric Landstrom? Yeah, Triple H and Sean, even with all of its problems. To be Triple H and Sean, purely by force of personality, in the case of one of them, and sheer force in the case of the other, as many wobbles as we had towards the end, uh, Armageddon being probably the greatest wobble of them all, it, it did carry Raw, and boy did Raw ever need carrying. So it was a very important feud that existed, often in name only, and I was critical of hot-shotting Michaels to winning the title at Survivor Series on that show. Go back and listen if you want to hear more on that. But as a feud storyline advancer, I suppose it probably did work. and. I can talk about my issues with the Armageddon. I can't because I won't be talking about it again. I don't think the Armageddon match, but not the most satisfying end. But there was probably just about enough there for them to take this one in admittedly a pretty weak, disappointing field. And as Lacey says, it's all about the hot shotting these days. And if we ever get a Hogan Savage at WrestleMania 5 again, do let me know. But I'm not going to die wondering on that one. Category number three, Uh, personality. I think that that Armageddon match just ended. (laughs) I'm not so sure it did. False finish like a Kaya track. Anyway, personality of the year. Uh, Triple H not in the running for this one. Or HBK for that matter. Uh, Eric Bischoff is there, though. So is Paul Heyman, last year's winner. And we also have Taz. Eric, kick us off with this one. 
Yeah, this is really interesting because there are no WWFE people on this list. Um, we have two ECW people, one of whom I don't know was ever uh, known for having a strong personality in Taz. Uh, Heyman, who I don't, I'll skip discussing because we'll get to that. Slash, if you watch five seconds of mainstream American pro wrestling this year and don't think Heyman is a nominee for this uh, category, then I don't just know that the show's for you. Uh, and then we have Bischoff. In the past, I have been accused of being contradictory on this show, and I'm probably going to do that again here because I can't, I I cannot stand Bischoff. For those of you in the Eric is a you know contrarian, contradictory opinion guy, bookmark this now because I can't stand Bischoff. Uh, generally and he's annoying he's arrogant he was brought in i think to pop a number and i think he's doing a good he's objectively doing a good job but he just has go away heat with me and he has for a long time um back to taz i'm shocked at how good uh, or potentially good this guy is on the stick you would have never known when we first started seeing this guy as the Tasmaniac in like 1994, 1995 on some of those ECW VHS shows that we used to mail each other overseas, like that this guy had any semblance of a personality, you could call a match, could analyze stuff. And obviously he, he can because he's a world-class trained uh, fighter. Martial, you know, whatever his, his, his training is, he has, he has it and he can talk about it. So really pleased to see Taz uh, emerge here, especially since we've been really desperate for somebody other than Lawler uh, on the on the you know commentary uh, color uh, to to do the color commentary, and um, and then back to Heyman. So really, I, I think this is uh, for me. It's a two, it's a one person race with a really with an opportunity to bookmark it and see where Taz is in a couple of years, and then Bishop, who I, I just don't know that I'm ever going to be convinced to vote for in a personality of the year contest, because there is some connotation of like, this is somebody who you're drawn to watching, right? Go away, heat award. Sure. Uh, personality of the year. I, I don't know. Lacey, a lot of your boys here. What do you reckon? Well, I concur with Eric that easy can fuck off. Um, <laughs> he has been the, the characterization of what I'm going to rant about later of uh, the wet dream of Vince so i don't even know why he's here just fucking right off um taz again as eric said who fucking knew that taz was a fucking boy on commentary oh my god um i will take him being the main play-by-play guy on every show now fuck the king off him and jr together or even better him and Heyman together would be the perfect commentary team and who would have thought someone explaining how moves work and how they hurt would make the show better? Logic. Um, but of course, this is an easy one. We know who's going to win this. We know it's my boy Heyman, who has gone from being, obviously bringing Brock in, his great commentary, um, and also the absolute scummery of him by shitting on Brock to get the big show and then shitting on the big show to go with Kurt Angle because he wants to be where the belt is because that's where the money is. You can't take the ECW out of Paul Heyman. 
Heyman's my boy. Heyman wins this. I mean, I'm, I'm going to... I don't know if we need to start questioning our nomination process because I agree with Lacey and Eric on, on Bischoff. So I don't know how he's made this list. Um, made it very, very comfortably, it must be said. He, he didn't just sneak in. I, I, I mean, the best bit about Bischoff this year is the moment Vince brings him out. And then after that, I'm... I, like we've already said uh, to to quote you Rory like Hunt, Hunter and Sean carried Raw and Bischoff's mm-hmm. been all over that show for the second half of the year and it's been comfortably the the lesser of the two shows that they put on every week and for me he's he's a part of that I'm, I'm not a big Eric Bischoff guy either so here I mean yeah Heyman is the best personality I think we all kind of agree that with that but I, I do think that just as like a this, the, the reason I'm going to vote in a losing battle for Taz is not that because I think he's a better personality than Paul Heyman, but it's because I think I'd like to sort of acknowledge the surprise I feel like I, I know Paul Heyman's fucking great and we have done for years and there's a reason he won the award last year. There's a reason he's going to win it this year. But I think what Taz adds to the show with that different style of commentary in contrast to uh the king is just like it's re- it's revolutionary in like it's like in terms of my viewing experience it's not like revolutionary booking or a genius idea to have a guy explaining moves it's simple but that change elevates so much of the show for me and he's amazing at it and some and i have to say i i wouldn't have expected him to be as good as he is so i'm gonna vote for taz and the second part of me voting for Taz is that Paul Heyman helped the big show win the belt. So there you go. <laughs> uh, just what I thought. So, so the real feud of the year still carries on then. Whitey. Yes. It's Whitey versus Big Show every year since either Big Show or Whitey was born. And I'm not, I'm not <laughs> sure who came first. <laughs> that feud has definitely had some build on that one. Can't, can't wait for that one to come. No. That mania payoff is going to be sweet. That is I vote for Heyman. Okay, okay. And Lacey, you're voting for Heyman too. I would imagine. Of course. <laughs> Why did I even bother? And Heyman was Dan Welling's number one pick too. Paul Heyman, personality of the year for the second year on the bounce. I think the first person since Bill Alfonso for such an accolade. Although then it was non-wrestler of the year, I suppose. But that's the same thing. And Heyman... I'll be honest, I've missed him on commentary this year. I've especially missed his reads, crunch this and all of that. But but he has been so, so important to the rise and rise of a certain somebody we will be discussing a bit later. To the point where even though this person has done so much good work himself, I wonder if that extra 20% that's got him to where he is might not have existed had he not been paired up with Paul Heyman straight after WrestleMania 18. But Paul Heyman... As much as you should always still be on commentary, personality of the year, yeah, I'll have some of that. And you're going to have some of this worst match of the year. Only three contenders. Could have been a lot more. But we do have, in chronological order, Hulk Hogan versus The Undertaker from Judgment Day. Triple H versus The Undertaker from King of the Ring. And, oh yes, it made it. Trish Stratus and Bradshaw versus Jackie Gader and Chris Nowinski from the July the 8th, 2002 edition of Raw. Take it, Mr. Lacey. Trish and Bradshaw, Gator and Nowinski. We'll start with that one because it's the shortest one. 
it's a five minute match with a fucking trainee girl in there that's literally just come out of tough enough. This doesn't count because guess what? <laughs> it's a fucking trainee match, so fuck it. We then have Taker versus Hogan. So you've got Hogan, who's pretty much washed up, and Taker that struggles to have a good match with anyone. This was shit. This was fucking terrible. But it's not the worst because it only went about 20 minutes, but it did have some really terrible Hulk uh, Vince McMahon coming down and being a cunt to it. The real worst match of the year. That was Taker and Triple H that went on for nearly half for over half an hour, was dull as fuck, had a pointless use of a returning rock and the world's longest ref bump. The ref took one hit and was down for 10 fucking minutes. One punch, 10 minutes. What the actual fuck so clearly we all know my stand on this you can be bad and fun the Nowinski one bad and fun because you know these are kids that don't really know what they're doing and look at the training school errors these are two seasoned professionals that were dull as fuck and that is why they are the worst match of the year but whitey can you change my mind I mean, I don't think I can. You're a very stubborn individual, Lacey, and I don't think I've got the argumentative skills to to bring you round here. But what I will say about the the Jackie Gator match is that, yeah, it's a trainee match, but it's a trainee match on Raw, on Monday Night Raw, and it shouldn't have been there. And I feel like this award, this was technically, on a technical level, the worst wrestling match that the WWE have had this year. It's painfully hard to watch. The part where she sells Trish's move around two seconds too late and just crumbles to the ground. It's it's insignificant. I will give you that. It's insignificant. It's four but minutes. It, but it's memorable. Yeah, and the, the four minutes uh, are definitely worse than any four-minute stretch in any other match. And I, it's insignificant but memorable. And I will remember the Jackie Gator match. I don't think I'll remember the others. I think we've had a lot of over the last five years plodding like i'm not saying the uh triple h undertaker match um was was good i'm not trying to diminish it diminish it at all like we've had a lot of slow methodical triple h main events this is the bottom of the barrel of that type of match the chemistry between the two is off but you do have the return of the rock and the crowd were into that and i i think if I was being honest, I think both Taker and Triple H have had worse matches this year than that. And both of them were with Hulk, Hulk Hogan. One of them obviously not nominated. I think the Hogan Triple H match, well, shorter is just significantly worse for me than this one. And I think Triple H methodical and slow, but goddamn Hogan couldn't even keep up with that. Hogan wouldn't have been capable of having a match as nothing happening as this, uh, as the one with Taker was to be honest i think it was glacial and nothing of note happened for about 20 minutes and uh that one even had the run-ins from say, jericho and and taker but yeah i think that was 
really bad. But for me, it, it, like it, this award isn't worst main event. It's worst match and trainee match. I give you, but it's by far the worst wrestling I've seen this year. You know, I uh, I went back and watched it because I was going through my notes for King of the Ring, and um, I don't think that that well. I mean, for uh, for 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 Judgment Day, and and I didn't think that the Undertaker and Hogan match was like that that bad. I mean, I think what was it, eleven minutes, something like that. So what's the worst that can happen in eleven minutes? And we, I think we maybe saw it, but yeah, that, I don't know the chokeslam. <laughs> that's the worst I, that can happen. <laughs> I just think that like, what were we expecting? And I know that's not the standard uh necessarily but this is such a subjective category look there's another way to look at that july 8th raw match which is that christopher Nowinski was much better than he had any right to be in the ring at this juncture in his training so if you look at it from a chris Nowinski perspective that's a pretty good match um jackie gata obviously like Lacey says you know untrained loosely trained professional barely professional wrestler with uh, in the ring with you know Trish Stratus who's a barely trained professional wrestler at least by the old standards of how we used to measure these things uh you know having to have Trish Stratus who just for the last six or eight months I think we would say has you know is a reliable in-ring performer lead that match or lead that portion of that match I just think that that was done on purpose to point out how Jackie Gata was not ready and it succeeded but I didn't pay money for it. I could walk away and it was four minutes long. So I tend to err on Lacey's side just in that it was a four minute match on Raw. It may have been the worst, you know, performed wrestling match of the year by one of the performers. But I don't know if it was the worst match because we pay money for these pay-per-views. And Undertaker and Hogan was 11 minutes long. And I am a Hogan mark and I'll admit it. But that Undertaker Triple H match just put me to bed and again so boring and so methodical and we've seen these guys how many times now and their their matches never get any better they never really get any all that different and if i'm going to spend you know 20 or 25 minutes staring at my tv screen you know in the third hour of a wrestling show that i've paid for i better have something a lot more entertaining and memorable and not boring shit as that undertaker triple h match so um you know i think just for the spirit of getting things on here that's my vote that that the king of the ring main event all respect that raw tag clusterfuck but i just don't think it quite carries the water as far as what bad wrestling can be when consumers are paying money for it and i don't think that undertaker hogan match was was all that bad i think it was exactly what we expected it to be this is the thing, like, obviously over here, that was, obviously with the time delay and stuff, that was at four in the morning, UK time. I'm struggling to, you know, stay awake at that point anyway. That doesn't help. I can't imagine that it's, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the late, or it's the early evening here and I was struggling with that one, so. Right, so Eric, you are voting for Triple H Undertaker, yes? Wholeheartedly. <laughs> a man after my own heart. Dan Welling's worst match was Hogan Taker, so that gets a vote. Chris White, let's go to you next for your pick then. I, I, I mean, I, I definitely agree that 
Undertaker and Triple H is the worst main event of the year, but I think I'm taking the this award, the the spirit of the award, this award category can obviously be taken in different ways, and the way I'm taking it would see my vote go for Trish and Bradshaw versus Jackie and Nowinski. The other the other part that I think this match speaks to is the grander point that how much worse the wrestling business is in 2002 for having no WCW there competing yeah. with Raw on Monday nights because the fucking audacity to put a trainee match on Raw like that's, that's this bad they wouldn't have dared do this in like maybe 2001 because by that point like things are bad but it, from the sort of years preceding that while while Nitro is running can you imagine the millions of people that would turn over if you put shit like this on your TV on a Monday night and uh, for me that's why I'm going to give it a losing vote again for the tag 2002 baby so Lacey the casting pick is yours on this occasion well, of course, if you listen to my rant, you know exactly who's getting this. <laughs> the fucking 10-minute ref kill that was Taker and Hunter. Yay! <laughs> and people say I don't enjoy when they get mentioned on this programme. Yeah, that match was a disgrace. But I will say, coming from me, uh, <laughs> Judgment Tempered and all of that, so I'm glad other people on this show have mentioned their dislike and hatred of that match. It's but I'm glad. I think it vindicates me a little bit. Serious point. Their match at WrestleMania 17 was extremely good. I said so on this very programming. Had its problems, felt a little bit unfinished, but lots of good points to it. Would never try to pretend otherwise. This match did not. It showed that Triple H's babyface run was very much on fumes, even at this point, and Undertaker just did not give a stuff. Far too much rock. He was sent out there to try to save this thing, and he failed. And if the rock can't get you onto wrong number two, then really, what are we doing here? Even having <laughs> Heyman on commentary didn't help. <laughs> this is where we are. Triple H, Undertaker, with Heyman on commentary, our worst match of the year. 2002, which will pick up for our fifth award, which is Worker of the Year. This, And it's needed at this point. It's really, really needed. And we have four competitors to discuss here. Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, and Rey Mysterio and say two of these people got exactly the same number of votes and in exactly the same number of position. So rather than try to omit one of them, I'll put them all through. Angle, Benoit, Eddie, Ray. Eric, let's start with you. I don't know that my, any of you who listen to our WrestleMania 17 uh, super volume, I don't know that I need to go on about how I feel about the in-ring qualities of Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit. And I think the last few years of the show have proven that we've probably exhausted those categories other than to say, I can't contemplate how these two guys continue to get better. I mean, if you listen to the show long enough, you know, I love Rush. And at a certain point, you know, like those some of those like Getty Lee and Neil Peart were just like known as like the best drummer and one of the best bassists in rock. And they could have just packed it up in 1987 and said, yeah, we're the best. We're going to stop here. We're going to stop growing. We're going to stop. And they just didn't. And they just kept getting better. And, you know, these are, it's like savant level stuff with these two guys, right? Like with Engel and Benoit, like they're just born to do this one thing. And Engel was obviously born to do two things because he won a fucking gold medal in the Olympics before he came. He was the best amateur wrestler before he became the best pro wrestler. I mean, that's incredible stuff. 
and you know Benoit took a, a more traditional path into the business. But then I'm hardened a little bit here, and, and it may be you know my my grin chart here is it's a little bit hardened to see Eddie Guerrero and, and Rey Mysterio, who I voted for uh, on this list. I think I think maybe over Eddie. I think Eddie and Ray were my two that I had to pick um, between. And um, just to say that I think Eddie has come so far since his WCW days in in work. And by work, I mean in-ring stuff. I mean character development. I think heat. I think crowd reaction. I, this guy is just, I wish he was three or four inches taller because, my God, we would have another world beater level star on our hands. And Rey Mysterio, we were all very worried that he was going to come in and just get ground up by the Vince McMahon system. And he hasn't done it. He's come in and he fits his role perfectly. And he's been booked better than he was booked ever in WCW, except for like four months in 1997. And he has come in and he is Rey Mysterio and he wrestles the Rey Mysterio style and it works. And they've let him do it and they haven't embarrassed him. They haven't pantsed him. They haven't, you know, had Big Show come out and you know, palm his head like a basketball or anything. Like, it's been incredible to watch. And so I think we have the two guys that we know that as long as they're wrestling and as long as we're doing this show are probably going to be on this list. And then two new guys who have both just come so far from where they were in WCW and really, like, as the one of the WCW representatives of the show, like, man, if, if, if fucking Turner could have just held on to these guys for a little while longer, we really could have had something special with a young crop of guys Eddie, Ray, Jericho, the list goes on and on. And these these guys now are in the WWE and just entering their primes, I think. And it's really special to watch. Chris White, this is one juicy list, is it not? Yeah, and this is probably a category where we were a bit spoiled this year, I think. And like Eric says, like Eddie and Ray are lovely additions to have to contend with two guys who are normally on here and have been on here many a time in the past. Uh, I mainly want to talk about Kurt Angle, to be honest. And I, I think the year he's had, it just is astonishing, really, because we we forget, like, it's so easy to forget how little experience he has in terms of years in the business and how good he is. Like, he became a Grand Slam champion within the company. Um, I, I mean, almost certainly, yes, but I, I, I can't think of anyone that would have done that quicker than he has. Um, all of my favorite matches this year, there's like a general consistent theme and it's like Kurt Angle's in there and Kurt Angle's awesome in it. Like the tag at No Mercy, uh, he had the, the even like on TV every week, like the four-way elimination we had last month with uh, him, Benoit, Guerrero and Edge. Uh, every, consistently, and like we've already spoke about the Edge and uh, the, the feud with Edge and the match at Judgment Day and, and the match before that as well. I, I think... Um, Sometimes I feel like we take Kurt for granted as well because he's just so versatile and like he's the guy that you can plug in for a world title match or indeed by the end of the year, like be the guy and put the belt on him and he'll carry the company on his back in terms of promos and he'll deliver in the ring. And then when it's time to sub him out, you put him in a tag team for a while and they'll be the best tag team on the roster. Or maybe you don't want to put him in the tag team. Maybe you put him in the mid card and he'll have a feud with someone like edge and it will be the best feud in the company. And like, no matter where you put him on the card, he's the best in the ring. Uh, and he's just been for me, just, I can't believe how good he is and how good, like how quickly he's become one of the best wrestlers on the earth. Um, and, uh, that isn't to diminish the other guys on this list, all of whom have had 
incredible years and like eric i'm surprised and happy that ray hasn't been smushed yet by the big show and i think eddie's return and how his year has gone is just a delight and benoit is benoit and he's won this award before rightly so he'll be a contender um every time like into the, he'll, he'll he'll be a contender next year as well and and it, it will just go on like that and I, I think having all of these guys coming good and being good at the same time it does give me hope that even though this has been a weak year that 2003 can be better Lacey four guys on the list all from Smackdown I was just going to mention right? this is this is why you know Heyman also should have got extra points for personality of the year because he's the one that's writing SmackDown and Absolutely. he's the one that's getting the proper wrestling. Um, just quickly on Eddie, um, how I wish he hadn't got that fucking arm injury a couple of years ago because we could have had this during the invasion and during you know the the back end of two thousand as well. We miss such a trick with this with Eddie because we are now seeing what he really can do. Um, Ray, I am surprised how quickly he has got fed Ray. He's still Ray being Ray, but he's working on a re- in a ring that's bigger than obviously WCW's. He's working the hard cam. He's he just fits perfectly um and as the boys have said you know he hasn't looked out of place he's not been you know he's just been chucked in with the cruiserweights yes he's had some amazing cruiserweight matches with the likes of Tajiri with Noble but he's also been in there with Edge he's been in there with Benoit he's been in there with Guerrero and Angle you know he has fallen well in this um Benoit is Benoit you want a fucking wrestling machine, you've got Benoit. But as everyone has said, Angle has just been even more phenomenal this year than in the past few years because now he seems to be the one leading all of his matches and being great in them. Um, obviously, in previous years, we've gone, oh, he's a bit green, but you know, he's he's been in there, he's done amazingly well. But he, he's doing his best work when he was in there with the more experienced when he was in there with a Jericho or went in there with a Hunter or in there with Benoit who can lead him a bit more. Now he is the one leading these matches. He's the one that is making the fucking magic happen. And you can put him anywhere. As you said, mid card, top of the card. Fuck it. He could even open the show like he did at SummerSlam and put you in like the fucking set the stage for the, for the show. Angle is a wrestling God. Is he your pick, Lacey? He is my pick. Who is your pick? Eric Lundstrom. Angle. Chris White. Angle. Dan Welling chose Angle as his number one. And indeed, so did I. I, It's becoming a bit of a cliche, especially with Kurt Angle. But no, I think it's not, not running out of. I have now run out of superlatives for the man. And the amazing thing about Kurt Angle is the thing that Chris White brought up there. And we could be doing this for 25 more years and Angle could still be active. And we would still say he has only had X years in the business and it would be less than anybody anybody else would ever put him against. But it doesn't like it matter. It's this is as natural as this is as natural as rain to him. And he dances again and again and again. 
to the point where I expect Kurt Angle to hit four stars every single match he's in. And that's probably unfair, especially in something like the WWE, where that's not always the most important thing. But he's on SmackDown. He's being booked by Paul Heyman, who knows the strengths of all of these guys, as in they're fucking great wrestlers, to give them the chance to wrestle fucking great matches and angle more than anybody else. I mean, he's done it and he will continue to do it. Bit of a character tweak this year. I probably haven't enjoyed him quite as much outside of the ring as I have in 2000 and 2001. But for this category, at least, that really doesn't matter. And even given the strength of opponents he was up against here in this category, Benoit, Ray and Eddie, who on their day could easily have won this, I still think Angle takes it, for me at least, at a bit of a canter. And I don't see this changing for at least another two or three years, as long as he stays healthy, which, if you read the sheets at the end of this year, might not be a guarantee. Tap wood and all of that. But for now, we just need to revel in the man's work. He gets the opportunities to do so, but my God, does he ever take them. Kurt Angle, worker of the year. Bloody right to. Yeah, that was all far too nice, wasn't it? Worst booking decision now. Now you're bloody talking. Again, three opportunities for us to really sink our teeth into get it right this time. So we've got the removal of the Intercontinental title, one belt on Raw. We've got the NWO in general, or should that be an NWO? And we've got, what about this? The big show over Brock Lesnar at Survivor Series 2002. Well, I never. Chris... Lacey, go first. One of these I will not touch with a barge pole because it's not my place to. Um, so I will go with the shit show that was the NWO first. Um, interesting way of bringing them in. Vince going that he's going to inject a poison into the veins of the WWF. And then the first time we see them at No Way Out, they come out all really baby facey and Hogan with his, oh, it's great to be back. I love this place. Ra rah, rah. Um, then we get the comedy moment, which was genius with The Rock, where he takes the piss out of them going diesel, doot, doot, and a bad guy, and he wants a picture with Hogan for his kid. Um, a little bit of a scrap at the end, and the NWO do NWO things at the end. We then get a good month of the NWO with the Rock and Hogan build up and the crashing a truck into them. And I thought, oh, oh, they, they've. They fucked up the start, but they've picked up here. And then we had Mania. And then we had Hogan go back to red and yellow. And then we had Six or X-Puck, as he is here, um, the big show, Booker T. One of these things is not like the others. Um, Really fucking pointless use of the NWO for a while. Then HBK turns up as the spokesperson for the nwo tries to recruit hunter ha i see what they're doing here they're trying to get the click oh no they're not because hall's gone because of you know he's too much on the piss and then it all burns out really quickly when a certain mr nash tears his quads Oh, what could have been if they'd have only done this a year earlier and had it in the invasion? That would have made sense. But no, they gave us this. But it shifted some T-shirts. And then we have the one belt to rule them all. We've 
on Raw, we had the European Championship, the Hardcore title, the Intercontinental title, and the World title. We've got a roster of loads of people and a show that has lots of matches that need to have stakes. What should we do? One rel to rule them all, and who should we give it to? The shovel man himself, Triple H. <laughs> the guy who what? never loses. Exactly. What is the fucking point? So you've now basically made everyone except the number one contender. So this year we've had, what, Kane, um, we've had Sean, and we ended the year with Steiner being the only people that are really relevant because they're the ones going after the belt and with the really terrible writing we've had this year that we mentioned in the feuds, the fact that we've had fuck all feuds, that the show is fucking pointless. So, yes, the NWO as a whole was fucking terrible, but the complete idea for one belt to rule them all makes no fucking sense. But that's my opinion on these. But I can be swayed because the two of them are terrible, terrible ideas. But I can be swayed because I've not taken my final idea yet on who is the worst. Yeah, we've got to go to Chris White now, haven't we? Paul Heyman helps Brock Lesnar win (laughs) that championship after 126 days of him debuting on the roster. He beat The Rock. He's the youngest champion at the time the youngest person to ever held that belt and at Survivor Series, the fucking big show pinned him. What the fuck? Like, the, it's just, there's so many people, and if, if the idea, like, don't get me wrong, we've just all spoken about our love for Angle, and he's just won our Worker of the Year award, so the idea of Brock versus Angle at Mania is fucking beautiful. But to get there, there are, there are a few things you could do that would derail the idea of that match being appealing as so much as inserting the big show into the mix and having him beat Brock Lesnar. Like it's just taking the most wild and unnecessary turn when you've got a match that to pretty much across the board, any type of wrestling fan can look forward to a Brock Lesnar versus Kurt Angle match at WrestleMania. Even if you want the belt on Kurt going in to WrestleMania, which evidently they may do if that is the direction we end up going, there are ways to do it that don't involve Brock Lesnar losing to the big show. And you can you could have had any type of match. This isn't the show to fantasy book or rebook survivor series and then big show losing the belt you could put numerous guys in that spot you know how i feel about the decision to have the match go the way it did just listen back to that november show i just think it's like one of the best things you've got in your company is how good this brock lesnar guy is you only brought him up this year and his rise has been near enough unparalleled by anyone outside of the name Kurt Angle. And then you just have him lose to the big show, a guy who has just like absolutely stunk the joint out the entire time he's been in this company. Like we're not that far removed from having to send him away to lose weight because he can't look after himself despite being in a like a well-paid professional environment. 
uh, it's just so demoralizing so deflating but i, I mean the, the, the thing is i i have a real problem with the big show ever since he's basically walked into this company i think he's been one of the worst consistent presences on my tv but I, do, I also agree with Lacey. I think we're comparing apples and oranges here, but having the one built on Raw has been bad. And I think how the NWO were brought in and how it all fizzled out and just how it went, it was it was bad, but it was predictably bad. When when we had the show and we were talking about the dose of poison and all of this that was coming in, like we, we were all sceptical and rightly so, because the worst bit about all three of our nominees is that if someone proposed them to us six months in advance we would all stop and say that sounds like a shit idea like this 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 they're all predictably bad there's not something that's been tried here that's just come off badly i think they've all been bad decisions that it was obvious ahead of time they were bad they were executed badly and then the fallout has fallout has been bad for all three of these and obviously i have a personal grievance <laughs> with the big show but i'm not even sure that that's where my vote's gonna go because in the grand scheme of things if we do get to the next wrestlemania and we get angle versus lesnar for the belt and it's a classic match i'm not even gonna remember but this so could have derailed Brock Lesnar and after his year he deserved better than that big show match he tried to get it back there right at the end but he's softening he's definitely softening Eric I'm surprised it's actually quite you know nice from you there look as uh, good as ever I I I gave it my all in November I don't have a lot left in <laughs> he punched himself out much like the big show did three years ago Eric Lanscombe <laughs> it's the, the lack of history that you guys are bringing to the show is incredible. I mean, does nobody remember Hulk Hogan coming in and winning the world title from the Iron Sheik in January of 1984 and immediately dropping it to Big John Studd in April? I mean, come on. You guys just you have no context for history, okay? You can't beat – I don't care if his leg was amputated. You don't beat Brock Lesnar using the big show – on a major show and make him look like a chump like that by having Heyman turn on him. Like, I don't know what got into McMahon that day, but that is one of the least defensible booking decisions that he ever made. Like, so you say Brock is hurt and it's like, maybe he's hurt. He's not that hurt because he wasn't gone that long. Um, How about this? Don't take the belt off him and don't have him wrestle for six weeks. It's been done. Austin didn't wrestle for a year and a half almost. And nobody seemed or for a year and nobody seemed to notice or care. And when he did wrestle, it was, it, it was meaningful. Like if your number one star who you're trying to build into the next Hulk Hogan or Dick the Bruiser or whoever it is, is, is injured, just have him work less. Don't have him lose to the big show and have him get chumped out by Paul Heyman like six weeks after the thing that you've been building for happens. It's just man, like how do you undercut a guy like that? And I don't know that Lesnar gets it. Like, Lesnar has a stink on him no matter what he does because of that. Like, it's just astounding to me. I think it was Whitey who said everything that on, that is on this list was would have been predictable by an average, you know, 
Joe six months in advance. And that that's the best way to sum this up. Like something is gone. Like they're just throwing bad decisions at the wall and hoping that they stick as opposed to before where maybe they were throwing some controversial decisions at the wall or, you know, making some non-traditional decisions. But these are obviously bad. Like the NWO is so duplicative. Hogan's not going to get booed in the WWE. He's just not. He was able to turn heel in WCW because that wasn't where he was known and that wasn't where, you know, he was the Hulkster necessarily and that wasn't his crowd initially. Hulk Hogan is never going to get booed in the WWE, WWF. He's just not. So to have him come in as a as a heel or at least as a pseudo de facto heel and then, you know, have this whole shocking character turn like you I said it during the Mania match. You can't tell me they didn't plan that to have Hogan in Toronto, his number one market of all time come out of that looking like, you know, the red and yellow hookster. There's no way they didn't foresee that. No chance. So the NWO was doomed to fail. And that brings us to the IC title. That belt has been up and down and around, hasn't it? But what it what it's always done, its dubious origins, you know, uh, set aside, it's always kind of signaled like who we may want to start paying attention to or who we should pay attention to a little bit more or who might be the next person or who the best worker is. The symbolism of the IC title has changed over the years, but it's always had some value in that it's more than a belt on a guy. It's uh, this is the next great worker. This is the, you know, the number one contender. This is the next person. This is the next young guy to keep a keep an eye on. And now when booking is at its all-time worst, almost, uh, at least since 94, and when 93, 94, and when attention is dwindling, and when the bubble has burst, and yes, it has burst, you you don't have anything to signal to an average viewer, or God forbid, a new viewer, like, hey, this other person who has this other belt might be worth hanging on to, you know? And I think they've undercut all of these things, all of these things in this category come back to one theme, which is similar to what Whitey said, which is just the Fed undercutting itself, cutting its own knees out from under it over and over and over again with these decisions. Veritable mixed bag. I think we need to go to Dan Walling first. I'm going to give you a few more seconds. His choice for worst, second, uh, worst booking decision of the year was indeed the big show defeating Brock Lesnar in Survivor Series, which might well help you. <laughs> Chris Lacey. I think, I think I'm going to have to go with one belt to rule them all because the long-term ramifications of this, if they keep this up for too long, is shit TV. I can't wait any longer. Chris White, I've got to go to you now. I'm going to go with the big show being Brock Lesnar at Survivor Series. Oh, just for a second there, everybody. Eh? Just for a second there. And Eric Lanstrom, your vote. Yeah, I think it's show over over yeah. Lesnar. But let's let's be very clear. This is not to say that the revival of the NWO and the, the one belt to rule them all oh, should no. be celebrated. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, very lucky or unlucky to be in the company they were, I think. The fact that On it made day. me have a second of doubt is proof enough mm-hmm. that this was 
a collection of shit. Bad list. Bad, bad list. And it's just, you, you hinted at it there, Eric. Now, is this sabotage on behalf of Vince? You know, what he talked about, the lethal dose of poison. It looks like he was taking it very, very literally throughout this year. But there's no competition now anymore. But come on, don't take the piss, mate. You know, don't yeah, it's, you know, push yourself over the precipice, for goodness sake. It's reactive booking, but there's nothing to react to. Yeah, exactly. All in his head. It's all in his head. But yes, still, all of that said, the right winner here. Because we will be talking about him again a bit later. Spoiler, non-spoiler. But just to make very brief reference to the points I talked about in great detail on our November 02 show. Lesnar's got some recovering to do now. And he should never, ever, ever have been put in that position. Big show over Brock Lesnar. Worst booking decision of the year. Not much of an argument to be had. Let's now go to our best segment of the year, as I barely mentioned about two or three minutes ago. Again, three to choose from here. We've got Triple H's return on January the 7th, which feels like it was a couple of centuries ago. We've got the two Hogan Rock meetings in the ring, 18th of February, 18th of March. They both got enough votes to make it in anyway, but I merged them because they're pretty much the beginning and the end, really. So... No point separating them. And we've got Eric Bischoff revealed as the general manager on the 15th of July. Although based on what was mentioned earlier, I don't hold out much, hold out much hope for old Easy e on this one. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Chris White, segment of the year. Yeah, I, I think this is really hard because I, I, the segment of the year, obviously Hogan Rock, that's like the, the two segments, February and March, I think the 18th of each respective month. They're like wrapped in the one of the sec- one of the things we've just discussed as the worst booking decision of the year and like th- there's too much nwo surrounding all of that i know like wrestlemania and and particularly the march one is like the, the that's like the catalyst for hogan going non nwo hogan and with the segment is where nash and they nash comes out and does a challenges like has a go at Hogan's ego like who would have thought and uh, goes after him and Rock cuts in and goes after Hall and Nash and Rock uh, Hall asks if Rock and Hogan want a piece of the NWO tonight so but like to get there the the conduit that's taken us to that great segment is like one of the top three worst booking decisions of the year so it's a bit weird i'm not taking away that like particularly the february one like they're like dream level segments where you've got two guys um i was going to say at the peak of their powers in hogan's case absolutely not but in terms of coming back to this company and having him back in uh, the ring there's certainly a lot of nostalgia there and having him go sort of against the rock on the mic is like fantasy booking levels of professional wrestling that after <clears throat> the death of wcw and the fallout from all of the invasion and how bad it was this is the sort of thing that you're not quite sure that if you do get the chance to see things like that are they ever going to be on the level that you built them up to be in your head but there's just too much nw onus around that one for me bischoff revealed as gm i mean i did like that segment I, again earlier i spoke sort of in terms of everyone else against maybe bischoff as a great personality but having vince introduce him and 
them come out and the hug i think are certainly memorable um television and uh probably elevates it as a segment in terms of something that will stick around in all of our minds good or bad for a long time um but the triple h return i mean quite a straightforward segment like you've had a top guy who suffered a really really nasty injury and and like uh, the way he carried on in that match we've spoken about before like a really tough legendary performance and then to be out nine months and to fight through the injury and the the sort of mental battles that you will have as a a, an athlete or a wrestler at the very top of your game who then gets taken out of the picture and all the anxiety that comes along with that and the pop that uh, the arena erupts into when his music hits and the way he comes out you can see how much it means to him and I think it's one of the segments that put the biggest one of the biggest smiles on my face this year in terms of watching WWE and that isn't to say like I'm not I'm certainly more than others on this uh, <laughs> podcast recording but I'm not the biggest Triple H fan um, and like despite him winning numerous awards on these shows in the past this wasn't a great year for him um but i think that return <laughs> one concern but, deserves another but i do think that return uh segment in isolation building up to the rumble is um excellent i think on paper if you were to say to me look you've got a black guy coming back from injury and you're three weeks away from the rumble my natural inclination would be, well, you hold them off. You put them in at number 30 or number 27 or even number one, you know, like you put them in the rumble. That's where you bring them back. But I think this segment will make me, make me, will maybe make me rethink that in future years. And when I see the adoration the crowd had for Triple H on that night, and maybe there is sort of virtue to the idea of bringing them back early and getting the crowd on side in a, gargantuan way ahead of time like they did here because obviously it would have been a major pump pop at the rumble but the rumble sells itself I, I don't think you need that triple h pop for the rumble and i think you, you would have lost out on this segment if we'd have done it that way around eric i must say when i was compiling this list and the votes came in for segment of the year i was scratching my head throughout and it settled down on these three slash four and i said to myself these are the best segments of 2002. Oof. The year without Steve Austin in the voting on the best segment award. Uh, this is what we're left with, right? So um, I'm going to go through these quickly because this was a bad year for segments and general non-in-ring entertainment at a meaningful level. Like, okay, could we have had some Booker T and Goldust segments in here? Could we have had some of the regal stuff? Could we have had some of the low-card humor Sure. But like, that's fun stuff. And that's filler. But, you know, we were trying to give a general overview of the year here. And to say that the best segment was, and I'm just making this up out of whole cloth was, you know, May 27th with, you know, Regal and whomever like backstage having a, you know, pissed at each other. That's pretty low hanging fruit. So, you know, I think what we're seeing here is just the the, the lack of some star power and the lack of somebody who can just be given a microphone and carry a 15 minute segment, especially since Dwayne's been off in Hollywood for the better part of the, you know, second half of the year, just thereabouts. Anywho, uh, to these, to these categories, uh, 
Whitey, just out of curiosity, how long did it take after Triple H returned until you wanted to see him go away again? I, I think we got through the rumble. We got through the rumble. So three weeks. So a little bit of serotonin, a little bit <laughs> of a I mean, serotonin I mean, boost, and that was better all. than Bischoff, and probably better than Hogan <laughs> if we were the uh, other two. I'll be honest with you guys. I remembered the Hogan Rock segments were good, but I didn't remember much of their substance. And I think because their Mania match just kind of subsumed everything around it. It was almost like this black hole of everything they tried to do with that match. And then the match happened and it just became, you know, capital T, capital M, the match. And I don't know that whatever build they attempted to do around all of it even mattered in the end. You know, for me, and this is going to loop back to my, you know, controversial, contradictory thing here. I do think that Bischoff being revealed as the GM was probably the, you know, segment of the year as we uh, go through this. And this isn't necessarily my final vote because, you know, Lacey is always very compelling in his arguments. Um, I just think that, you know, three years ago, this was the least that we would have expected to see on Raw. We always kind of figured Hogan would go back at some point like he's Hogan and it's Vince like, of course, he's going to go back at some point, even if it's just a one off thing to get that last mania pop and, you know, whatever. But Bischoff, I don't know if I ever saw Bischoff in the WWE. Now, did I want him to be a full time recurring character who takes up minutes and hours every week on both shows on television sometimes? No. But was it shocking as hell to see that hug, to see that embrace, to hear back in black blasting through that arena? Like to see Booker T's face in that little teaser before the the big segment, like that was good shit. And it goes back to what are we going to remember? And I, I think we'll remember that Triple H return, but then we'll remember that by Mania, we wanted him to be as far away from the product as possible. Hogan and Rock, I think we'll remember the match. Bischoff, I don't know that Bischoff is going to be remembered for much more than that return just because of his the go away heat that he developed by the end of the year. So Tough voting here, tough year for segments, and I think this really loops back to, you know, a year without Steve Austin is a year without quality television segments. Mm-hmm. Lacey, let's hear that compelling case of yours. So January the 7th, there's something happening. We got told about <laughs> it over and over and over, and they used U2. So for that, it's out because U2 is shit, and fuck that. <laughs> then we have Easy e being revealed... Before the adverts, before he yeah, came out, yeah, you yeah, fucked sad. yourselves. Yeah, so no, him coming out, having a heart, fuck, I don't give a fuck. I've seen him. Where's the fucking surprise? So the only option is the Hogan and Rock. Because it's the only time that people <laughs> all this year have talked me into wanting to see a match. Which isn't that what segments are here to do, to talk me into wanting to watch something. I didn't ever think I wanted to see Hogan versus Rock. When I thought, oh, WCW versus WWF, I would have thought Hogan Austin, Hogan Taker, Hogan even Trips, not Rock. But they talked me into wanting to see that. That promo, when I'm going to beat you, brother, is by far the easy pick for a fucking segment of the year because it's the only real segment that gets you involved and wanting to watch a match and as i said we'd what as what you said we'd watch the rumble anyway doesn't matter that trips is back and when you shoot your bolt before the event it's not a fucking reveal is it that 
lends credence to my sabotage theory as well. Just wait three fucking minutes. And I know there was the reasoning, oh, no. people will phone their mates during the break. No, just That's no. it. It's 100% about ratings and ads, man. That's why WCW died in the first place. It was because of, like, unadvertised <laughs> returns and stuff. They, it's, it's unfortunate that that's how it works, but that's how it works, right? They're just not doing the dumb thing that WCW but, always did that we love. People knew from the beginning of the night they mentioned that the the new raw gm was being revealed that night so you know that it's more likely it will either be at the top of the the nine o'clock hour or it would be at the end of the show so people are going to be watching anyway who Absolutely. want to see it you don't shoot your bolt on a fucking advert break and it was with booker t as well they're not exactly the first person you think of, Eric Bischoff, WCW. If it had been Flair, for example, God help me, then I might have been slightly more forgiving. <laughs> not often you hear those words in the same sentence, but no. I wouldn't go as far to say they ruined it, but they gave it a bloody good go. Anyway, let's get some votes. Uh, Dan Welling has picked Triple H's return as his number one. So there we go. Lovely. I knew this was a bad idea. Chris White, where are you going to vote? I mean, I'm... I'm... I know how this goes. I'm going to pick Triple H. <laughs> We're doing this far too long. Eric Lanston, where's your vote? A very cold vote for Bischoff, and I'm not happy about it. Uh, let's have your vote, Lacey. Rock and Hogan. Yeah, see, I think I would have gone for that. I have a couple of things to say about Rock Hogan a little later, but that's the segment I think of, and it's that shot, even more than the match of Hogan and Rock staring at each other. The flavor of the month stuff. How about it with The Rock? Yeah, I honestly think that's the segment of the year. And it wasn't my number one pick, but I really think it should have been. And but, what else What else from Mania got that build? Yeah, indeed. Indeed. And we're talking fucking Mania here, right? Look well, what the main I, event was. But I'll as, get to that again we, in a minute. As we just said about the, the Rumble, like the Rumble sells itself. Mania goddamn sells itself more than the Rumble. And like... <sighs> Half of this is the stuff afterwards, which is like fair. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like it's too NWOE, and that was wrapped up in our worst stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, it's it's hard to separate it from being run over by an ambulance and all of that. What, yeah. well, what I will try say, to blank that out best I can. But to sum it up from me, like it's not a good year, is it? <laughs> this is our discussion. Oh, weak, weak source. Yeah. Uh, even Hogan Rock could have been better if we had more time we'd have discussed how it could have been triple h return as one i can't argue with that decision i'm going to but i did make my top three it must be said now what's happening to me having a dose of the chris whites here i think and all i will say about the triple h return everybody got what they wanted out of that almost everybody it's time for the russo award unbearable shitness Lacey, we've been doing this for a while now, but just in case there's anybody popping in for the first time, why don't you give us the history of this award? And I'll throw back to you again in a couple of minutes, too. But tell us what this award means. So the Russo Award, or as it was previously known, the Wahoo Award, is for things in wrestling that go beyond just being terrible matches, terrible segments, terrible shows to what is unbearable levels of fucking shitness that are a stain and a blight on this entertainment of which we enjoy called wrestling. And the reason it is now is Russo, because Russo has the 
undoubtable honour of a multiple-time winner for his level of country. <laughs> but he won't win it this year because he's not here. Uh, but what is here? We have Katie Vick. I'm bring myself to fucking say it. Katie Vick. I've said it twice. HLA slash Tory and Dawn slash Vince McMahon, etc., etc., etc. Ah, as I've written in my final notes. And separated from this slightly, Steve Austin's 2002, which, for the avoidance of doubt, we're only talking about Steve Austin's 2002 on camera. Okay. Discussed enough about the other thing. Lacey, you wanted the floor on this one. It's only right I give it to you. So I will I will touch on the odd one out here, which is Austin being an absolute twat. Um, he made my shortlist more for the shit outside the ring than the in the ring shit because he's a stain on wrestling. But in the ring, he just showed that he's a petulant child. And if he doesn't get what he wants, he'll take his ball and go home. So now we're at the real meat of the matter, which is. Vince McMahon, the fucking sex pest, absolute cunt that he is. We have his obsession with being sexy on the show. And this year, at least he's not, you know, being a fucking rapist himself, but he's bringing that in to other people. So we have the overly sexualization of his own fucking daughter with him pushing the fact of Eric Bischoff trying to fuck his daughter. We have, let's have some lesbians because everyone loves lesbians and then kick them in the face because we haven't pissed off the gays enough with what we did with Billy and Chuck. We then have, oh, let's have Dawn Marie and Tori Wilson have a feud because Dawn Marie's fucking Tori Wilson's dad to death fucking to death and then having two matches out of it because of course a grieving person needs to see that oh my daughter is my my father has died my husband has died let's have a match and then he then turns it up a notch to have some fucking necrophilia because of course that's what we need in wrestling necro fucking philia <laughs> Because why not? Let's have some rape and necrophilia. Let's put them together because we have Undertale or Kane trying to rape a girl. Oh, now she's dead. I can rape her. Then we'll have Triple H pretending to rape a corpse on TV in the year of our Lord 2002 on wrestling. Corpse fucking. And then how are we going to do this afterwards? We're going to use the said doll that we corpse fucked and throw it around the ring because everything we do doesn't fucking matter because Vince is a fucking sex pest. Fuck you, Vince McMahon, you filthy fucking horrible person. Katie Vick was a friend of mine and Katie <laughs> Vick is dead, but I didn't kill her. It was an accident. And I am not a murderer. See, Katie and I were friends about 10 years ago, back when I first started in wrestling. In fact, she came to my first match and was probably the only one who cared when I was getting beat up. I cared about her too. One night, Katie and I, we went to a party. And Katie had too much to drink. 
so I decided that I should drive her home. I wasn't that familiar with the stick shift, but Katie insisted that we take her car. It was dark, and the road was slick as it was raining, and an animal jumped right in front of us. I swerved to avoid it, and the car spun out of control and went off the road. I broke my arm, but Katie was killed instantly. But it was an accident. It's something that I have to live with, and something that I've thought about every day since. So the only thing that I have left to say is what I said to Katie's parents is, I'm sorry. Oh, boo-hoo, Kane. Boo-hoo. <laughs> no, I'm not going to. I mean, we've, we've, it's so, this is the, one of the easiest winners of this award for my line we've ever had. Like the, the stuff that the Katie Vick storyline touches on is stuff that has less than zero place in professional wrestling. Like the fact that, like the fact that Vince would propose and, and, and want storylines like this on his TV is, is not a surprise. But the fact that like the fucking cowards that work with him, like still cannot stand up to necrophilia and rape. Like there's like there's shit storylines and we're used to shit Vince McMahon storylines and like matches that are a result of shit Vince McMahon storylines. But these, the subject matter that this storyline covers is just like just grow a fucking spine like someone please and just Vince this is too far like I can't sign up on shit like this Triple H is a coward it like the, the skit he filmed like someone there needs to grow some balls and say I'm not doing it like this is a bad idea I'm not doing it and no one could like the HLA staff, the the Tory staff, the Al Wilson, it's all shit. But Katie Vick is for me like above and beyond. Um, and let's just say that on camera, even Austin is very lucky <laughs> that Vince McMahon is surrounded by a bunch of spineless cowards because, <laughs> yeah, not a great year from him either. Yeah, Katie Vick takes top honours here, does she not? Comfortably. What, what, what is, it, is this our first ever posthumous award? Do I really want to go there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure the Undertaker's won something before. <laughs> very good, very good. Dead to me, anyway. She deserves the fucking Victoria Cross after all of this. Yeah, just mortifying, and I choose that word advisedly, television here. And I'm not going to dignify it with any more discussion. Go back and listen to the first October show where Chris and Eric talk about it in all of its gruesome detail. Even the word detail doesn't seem right, but it's. I just wish I could be surprised by this. You know, I I almost wish we were sitting here right now and saying, can you believe they had a necrophilia storyline on a pro wrestling show? And the thing is, we all can believe it. The joke is on us. The joke is on us. Katie Vick, our Rusa Award winner for 2002. Right. Good things now. Only good things until the end. Uh, show of the year would be our normal discussion point here. But I'll let you into a bit of a secret, everybody. We all picked SummerSlam as our number one. So there's 
no real point to putting it to about having a discussion. Lacey, I will just come to you very quickly because you weren't on the SummerSlam show that all of us were, where we gave it an 8 out of 10, a 10 out of 10, and correctly, a 9 out of 10, Chris White. So, Lacey, just have a, just give us your thoughts on SummerSlam very briefly. If you want to mention any other shows, you can, but uh, just talk about SummerSlam for a couple of minutes because it's the best show of the year, as everybody listening to this already knows. Yeah, so SummerSlam, we had Ray's debut, we had Brock Rock, we had Sean and Trips. There was the slight blight of Test and Taker, but, you know, everyone needs to go and make a sandwich at some point. Um, but, you know, this year has been very hard on shows of the year because nothing has been consistently good. Um, so, yeah, it was an easy one this year that that is the show of the year because I said... It's a perfect show because it gives you a sandwich break. Chris Lacey, nine out of ten? Eight and a half. Oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) I've got up to a nine. (laughs) Uh, Chris, very, very briefly on SummerSlam, just a couple of sentences. Yeah, I think it had one of my favourite matches of the year with the Shawn Michaels return and the emotion behind that is significant. Um, the main event and the crowning of Brock Lesnar and him versus Rock is sounds a bit silly to say it's a dream match because he's only been on the roster for about three or four months. But nonetheless, it, it was. And like you say, yeah, uh, Lacey, Ed, Ray's debut and you know, Edge and Eddie. And there's, there's so much about that show that um, just stands out above the rest. Um, and a part of me would be maybe feeling a bit harsh would say like it shows the drop off but ultimately like this is as good a show as we've had in most years past um probably with the exception of wrestlemania 17 so yeah categorically the show of the year in my book well in all of our books as it turned out eric just round off SummerSlam quickly for us i think this goes to show that the wwe even in one of its weakest years that we can remember can still pull off uh, a a very good to capital g great show once per year when the stars align and, and that's what happened there if only they would align a bit more often but they did in the ring on at least three occasions because it's time for best match of the year chronological order once again rock versus hulk hogan from wrestlemania 18 triple h versus hbk from SummerSlam, and Edge and Rey Mysterio versus Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit from No Mercy. Chris White, you get to go first this time. Some mighty picks here, so make your case. Yeah, it's, it's nice. To, I mean, I, I love the TLC matches we've discussed in the past, but it's nice to have a tag match that isn't centred around tables, lads and chairs, get a nomination, and, and rightly so. This is one of the best tag matches I can remember watching as part of this podcast. Um, the tournament itself was entertaining. I, I'm I'm quite a fan of a tournament. And when we got down to Angle and Benoit and Edge and Mysterio, you'd expect it to be good. And it exceeded to those expectations. It, two of the best technical wrestlers on one side and then, well, I was going to say two of the best technical wrestlers. I mean, Mysterio is on the other team as well. Like you've got star power, you've got technical wrestling, and it's one of the best uh, non-gimmick tag matches that the company has had in years. Um, it stands head and shoulders above 
pretty much any other tag match, despite this being a very good year at times in ring for the tag division in the latter half of the year. Um, this is sort of the clowning glory of the last few months of the tag division. Um, for me, my vote's probably going to go to Triple H and Sean, bit of a spoiler ahead for the voting process, but I, I think the return of Michaels on a personal level means more to me as a fan than the return of Hogan does, and I guess that's because I mean, the Hogan's initial WWF run, like, is, is, I wasn't here for that, you know, I, I, I wasn't along for that ride, so the nostalgia's not there so much for me, and my ex- main exposure to Hogan has been some of the really shit stuff he's done in WCW, and like the, so the glamour of having that guy in this company against someone like the rock who's been so good for so long maybe takes like the the, the, the nostalgia and the special like a, a layer of how special that match is away not taking anything away from how great it is it's probably i mean these are the the correct top three in my book i wouldn't have any of them dropped out for for anything else but the return of michaels in what at the time he certainly thought was going to be sort of a one-off one and done return um he didn't think he'd be back after this and i think the story of how they got there we've already spoken about as one of the better stories in terms of views they've told um the the ending i thought which we had some debate about on the SummerSlam show but i i think the ending for me was pretty perfect and i think the way he got his win was very fitting. It told the story the right way. And then it helped heal up Triple H again, how he needed, like like how we'd need to, to move things forward afterwards with his sledgehammer. And for me, it was probably the best uh, in-ring. I, I know it was a street guy, but uh, like in-ring singles match in terms of a main event, like, a WWE style main event match you could have. I know it didn't go on last. Um, and then you get to Hogan and Rock, which we've spoken about on the WrestleMania review. I've spoken about briefly. There's something unique about that match on that night with the crowd and how it plays out. I just, I, I can't take that away from anyone who's swept up by that. And if the voting goes that, that wins hands down like fair enough I'll, I'll hold my hands up and say that's fine I can't, I can't take that away from you nor would I want to if if that match and sort of <laughs> the emotion behind it resonates with you on a nostalgia level that capitulates it to the top of these rankings then that is your right it just doesn't do that for me and I, I think that's a fair position to hold as someone who's pretty fed up with Hulk Hogan before he ever stepped foot back in this company uh again this year Lacey three very different matches on here but I must say I'm glad to see that so take us through what we do have and I know you wanted a you had another couple of honorable mentions you wanted to drop in as well yeah so I will just drop in the couple of honorables quickly here um from Raw a ladder match between RVD and Ed and Eddie Guerrero the Undertaker Jeff Hardy ladder match um, and there was some awesome Tajiri versus Jamie Noble matches out there too. Worth always worth a watch. Um, but we will go through what he's actually been picked. Uh, so we have the tag match. This is 
for someone like me who loves tag team wrestling, I'm a fan of things like the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express from, you know, the glory days of tag team wrestling. This is up there as one of the best tag matches ever. It is there with the Fantastics versus the Midnight Express from Clash of the Champions 1, which anyone who knows me knows that that is the pinnacle of tag team wrestling. This is the perfect tag match. And in any other year, this would be match of the year easily. But we have two matches that, depending on your era, will depend on which one gets your vote. Because we have nostalgia return moments. Ahoy. Um, If you're a kid of the 90s, the Sean Triple H match will be your thing because it's return of you you know kids of the 90s their boy will be Shawn michaels the guy and you know we were never going to get him back again and he's come back he has an amazing match a brutally beautifully brutal at times with some of the shit them two did to each other there was blood and it was deserved it was a perfect match but then if you're older like me, the nostalgia feels of fucking Hogan and Rock just get you. Um, is this a in-ring classic of the level of the tag match or even the level of the Sean Hunter match? No. Rock has his limitations. Hogan really has his limitations. But there are moments where it just all goes together the crowd the fact that both of these guys read that crowd so well and they did the mid-turn that you know they changed up how this match was going and that rock ended up being the heel because hogan was always the baby face in this to me this is one of those matches that if you watched it on mute it is probably lackluster and you're going to be bored but with the sound on and in that watching it and in that moment, and especially when I was a few beers deep watching Mania that that Sunday night slash Monday morning. It was just all my childhood coming back at me and it was fucking perfect. Eric Landstrom, match of the year. You know, the folks who criticize that Hogan Rock match and say, listen with the sound off, it's like, who the fuck watches wrestling with the sound off anyway? Like, that's part of the deal. Like, right? The Anyway. Um, I would swap out the Brock Undertaker Hell in a Cell for the Triple H HBK SummerSlam match. That's just me. It's like the style better. I like the workers better. I think that the, the Triple H and HBK match, I think, edged on self-indulgent a little bit i understand the end and why it went that way but god was it deflating to see that fucking triple h on top again even after he lost um like whitey i was a big Shawn michaels guy 94 95 96 and i just wanted him to win and then leave and then that was it and that's the end of Shawn michaels's career but i think in hindsight it's apparent that they never really intended for that to be a one-off just like they never intended for Hogan to be the heel when he main evented WrestleMania in Toronto. 
and I know I've I'm a broken uh, record with this, but like you don't get more popular in wrestling than Hulk Hogan in Toronto. And that match was always going to go that way. And that crowd was always going to react like that. And in a way, it was a bit of an apology for Hogan. Like it was a, a return to form for the guy who was Mr. WWF in the 80s and early 90s. And he came home and he got the hero's reaction that for what we all criticized him for, that crowd felt he deserved. And I agreed. Um, and for as much of a shit human being as he is, for much of a creative vacuum as he is at times, for as much as he stymied any progress WCW ever had to be a viable second contender to the WWFE long term, that man gets in the ring and knows how to conduct a crowd. And you never lose that. You just don't. And that that WrestleMania spectacle, it's more than a match. It was a spectacle. That will be elevated to the levels of the Hogan Warrior match. And you mentioned it earlier, Hogan Savage, Hogan Bundy. Those first four, five, six, seven even Mania main events that he had, like, there's just a magical element there that you don't see very often. And in a year without Steve Austin having it, Hogan did. And it was incredible to watch. And for somebody who's, you know, probably aged between Lacey and Whitey, but is more of a wrestling historian, I think, than, you know, some folks, it was just an incredible thing to watch Hogan return to his town and take that crowd into the palm of his hand, like was the plan, I'll insist, but still carried out perfectly. The tag team match, what more is there to say? It's probably the best tag team match in the Vince McMahon Jr. era of the WWFE, and that covers a lot of ground, but even the Hearts and Bulldogs never did a match like this. Even the Hearts and, you know, the Rockers never had anything along these lines. And it it does need to be said that the WWF for a long time was a tag team territory. And this this is probably the best tag team match in the WWE since like the sixties, right? Which says something. It's an it, it's an incredible match. It's just unfortunate that it gets sandwiched in between a match this year with Triple H and Sean that a lot of people really seem to like and was very good. And a WrestleMania spectacle that will be remembered for time in memoriam. And I think the point of all of this is is to have that WrestleMania main event. You work all year for it. And I just think that that Hogan Rock match is it's different than these other matches that we're talking about. It's different than the other things that we're discussing and comparing it to just because of the players involved, the setting, the stage, and the history behind it. Is that your vote, Eric? It is. Chris Lacey. Old Man Shet is here, so Old Man gets Hogan and Rock. Christopher White. I'll go Hunter and Sean. Okay, here we go. Dan Wellen called Shawn Michaels versus Triple H's favourite match of all time on the SummerSlam show, but he voted for that very match, so he had himself a tie in this one. Oh, goodness <laughs> me. It had to happen. <laughs> it, had to be, it had to be this one, didn't it? There's um, always, always going to be this one as well. You're going to vote for the tag, aren't you? And then <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> uh, I can't actually do that. Um, as much as, oh, I can make the rule, so I could. Yeah, yeah. I want to. Just and I rule. do want to. 
I'm tempted to tie them. You know, if I can just pick the splinters out of my backside as I do so, I'm tempted to. T- no, you know what? I'm calling it a tie. My show, my rules. Because I think you guys have summed it up the best. We had the ultimate 80s comeback and the ultimate 90s comeback. And you can quibble about some of the things that happened in the matches and they didn't do this or they did do that. But you wouldn't want to change anything from any either of those matches. I certainly wouldn't. I also don't really care to watch either either two of those matches again, because Hogan Rock would lose something with repeated viewings. And as I said on the SummerSlam show, the Triple H HBK story was ebbing away the day after SummerSlam, let alone where we are at the end of the year. Yes, it was enough to become our feud of the year, but the story itself changed over time. It was no longer Michael's all but fighting for his life, which when I was watching SummerSlam live at 3am in the end of August, I was there pulling for him. I'm not going to be able to replicate that, but I was there at the time and I was there for that crowd reaction for Hogan Rock. Not the way I personally would have reacted, but I am only one man in the grand scheme of things in this wrestling cosmos and they're two sides of the same coin. Even though the tag match was definitely the best match of the year, so let's move on, shall we? <laughs> I, it was. I, I mean, you're not wrong. That was the best work yeah. match of probably in the history of the WWE. Like <laughs> at least since the, at least since like uh, 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 Rock and Perez in the 50s. Like that's the best tag match that they've ever had. That, that's without question. And the thing is, is is that it's astonishing how good this this category has been this year, considering. On a lot of the others, we've been like, ah, bad field. But here, like, I think all three are outstanding in their own right, like, and for very yeah. different reasons, which, again, makes it so hard to compare them. But, yeah, really, you, really good field for this one. Because you've, you've got the best wrestling match, the best sports entertainment moment match, and a brutal fight. Yeah. Yeah. And I think from the WWE, one example of each of those in the best match category, you've done pretty well. Tag team match was the best match of the year. <laughs> I'm not cutting that bit either. But let's get to our MVP, our ultimate everything person of the year. And Eric Landstrom, I have to start with you on this one. Let me just go through the three people who made it. They were Kurt Angle, Brock Lesnar, and The Rock. <laughs> you might have heard the boo in the background there. Kurt Angle, Brock Lesnar, and The Rock. Eric, Eric Landstrom. We sat in this exact spot 53 weeks ago when The Rock did not make the MVP list for 2001, a decision you very much endorsed. And here, to let in a bit of light on magic, he was your number one pick. Discuss. It's tough. This was a very difficult year for MVP. Um, you know, it's it's funny. We get to these. Certainly, we didn't didn't do it last year because last year I think Steve Austin touched almost every category. I mean, it needs to be said that like we're coming off the single best single performer year that we've had in the history of the show in 2001, right? And so we're we're here now where we have more of a collective of people who were in and out of the main event scene. Somebody who didn't come in until uh mid-year like lesnar um somebody like angle who goes up and down the card from opening match to main event and back again 
And then someone like The Rock, who's clearly like the, you know, number one guy in the company, objectively at this juncture, with Austin kind of taking a powder and maybe not in, embracing uh, what it takes to be a great human being. Uh, we'll just leave it there. But he also was kind of in the background for a lot of it. Like, he had the match with Hogan, but what came out of that was how surprised everybody was at Hogan. He had the match with Lesnar, but what came out of that was that that was at SummerSlam, but what came out of that was that Lesnar was the guy. I don't know that The Rock individually had an MVP-level performance this year that would say, this is what I can point to individually to say, yeah, but through it all, you know, the cream rises to the top. But I think the other side of that coin is The Rock was the guy to go up against Hogan to make that match meaningful. He was the guy to put over Lesnar to make that ascent meaningful. And he is the guy who, when he comes back, his pop is the loudest at this point, I think. Um, He's never going to rise to the level of Austin in my eyes, but... I think if you look at the other two guys in this category, Lesnar, I think I think we're a year ahead on Lesnar, maybe. Um, but he was just so important and so impactful that he had to be discussed here as a contender. And then Angle. I think we've covered Angle in the best worker category. I think Angle was just such a good worker and so reliable on every card that he was on that he earned an MVP appearance here. But I don't know that if Angle was against Hogan or if um, Angle was against Lesnar at SummerSlam at that point, that it would have meant the same as The Rock being in those spots. So I think by kind of the, the transitive property, you know, by the deductive reasoning of who was in the mix when all these important things happened, I think it's The Rock, but it is a very weak year for MVP in my opinion. Considering he wasn't even there for six months of it in total, and I was very surprised to see him make the list this time, but... Again, I can see very much where you're coming from. I would never begrudge The Rock appearing in any of these lists, of course not. But I think this year he's been, in as much as he can be, a supporting player. Look what he did at WrestleMania. Look what he did at SummerSlam. But you can't imagine him not being around for either of those two things. You know, Rock Hogan (laughs) just rolls off the tongue. Rock putting over Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam rolls off the tongue too, makes Lesnar's achievement all the greater. Chris White, again, I'll give you the list once more. The Rock, Brock Lesnar, and Kurt Angle. (laughs) What have we got? Yeah, I I kind of agree. Like, the two two of the biggest moments of this year are the the Hogan match and then obviously Brock's coronation at SummerSlam and The Rock is pivotal to making both of them as effective as they are. But... I don't know that by the time he leaves the crowd reaction, I don't know, like, I think he was just gone too much. Like, and as Eric said, like Austin in 2001, like, I don't think we'll ever see anyone that good ever again. And someone who carried like every facet of the show consistently, as Austin did, and I, I kind of only imagine what WWF at the time TV would have looked like um, without Stone Cold Steve Austin in 2001. 
And I just kind of feel like watching this company every year, every week, sorry, and watching their product and the output um, without The Rock this year, it doesn't change my weekly viewing experience very much at all. And someone I think who would certainly more out of the two remaining guys would be Kurt Angle. And I spoke earlier about Kurt when we were talking worker of the year, and I think he rightly obviously won that award. But the the thing that sets him apart for me is is the versatility as well. And like I said, like you put him in a tag team that gets nominated for tag team of the year. He gets nominated as singles worker. He gets nominated as MVP. He has feuds in the mid card with people like Edge. He ends the year as the champion and is probably going to face the next guy in terms of Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania and coronate him on a big stage there again. Like we've, and a part of me now I said that out loud is like, does, have we maybe overstated the impact of SummerSlam with Brock Lesnar? If WrestleMania next year is just doing the same thing, but with Kurt and I'm not saying the, the angle match is going to be, as big as the rock match necessarily, but we are just sort of doing it again. And I bet it will be better in the ring um, than the rock match was. I, I think he's just so well-rounded and entertaining on the mic far more than he had any right to be considering his, his background. Like we thought he'd be great technically and a really effective in-ring worker, but to be the character actor he is and as funny and as charismatic as he can be, and to end the year with him as champion alongside Paul Heyman, I think for me, I, I, I couldn't have imagined this year watching through many strands of many different places in the card. This show, the shows that this company puts on without Kurt Angle being there. Well, I see. I think Brock Lesnar, of all people, is in danger of being lost in the shuffle here. That might please some people, so not too far away from me, but have a word for him at least, you know. Well, <laughs> I, will, I, will, <laughs> I will say this year, Rock has been the kingmaker, not the king. Yeah. And as you say, he's not been here for half the year, so can't really be counted. Angle, as we've said, work of the year has been fucking amazing. But he has not been in matches and moments that have made me want to carry on watching, which my friend Paul Heyman's great client, Brock Lesnar, has been. We've seen him come in as a, as a rookie and destroy people as he did at the beginning. We saw him have an amazing turnout at the King of the Ring. He has then killed Hogan, which I know a lot of people will be so happy about that he murdered Hogan, which for that alone means he's MVP. He then took out The Rock and had his crowning moment. He made Taker have good matches. He has made the title meaningful on SmackDown. And... Yes, the big show bullshit we could do without. But we now have the fact that we're going to get Brock's redemption. And 
I know, you know, it's next month and we're, you know, not there yet. But I'll put a tenner on Brock winning the Rumble and going to WrestleMania and we getting a fucking classic next year against Angle. But he has been the consistent this year. Those, as I said, those matches with Taker, it's the best shit Taker's done in years. He had an amazing match with The Rock. And yes, Rock was his kingmaker. But Brock is the fucking king. And it's also meant that we've had lots of Heyman on TV. So it's a fucking win-win. So yes, Brock Lesnar is the MVP this year. There we are. Let's go to Walling. Oh, MVP Kurt Angle. His number two was The Undertaker, by the way. So I think we need to... (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't... Have we uh, checked on him to see if he's not had some sort of concussion or some medical issue that he's gone delirious? Suddenly his absence makes a lot more sense. Birthday, birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, Dan. Uh, Chris White, let's get an MVP vote from you. I'm going Kurt Angle. Ooh. Eric, MVP vote. I have been swayed. Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle is our MVP of the year. Meets with a lot of approval in this household, I see. Yeah, I'm just a little bit surprised by that. Not that he doesn't deserve it, but I thought Lesnar was going to be a shoo-in for this award. Absolute shoo-in. But Angle has won 3-1. I'm sure anybody who's listened to even two seconds of these shows knows you're not going to get much argument from me on that score. Angle in the ring has been sensational, as we talked about. I repeat what I said an hour ago. I don't think it's been a vintage year of him behind the Titan Tron. But when he has been called upon, you know, the comedy stuff with Edge at the beginning of the year, I think his promos right at the very end of 2002, you're bringing up Team Angle. He's been talking about the importance of wrestling. He really can do anything. And he's been doing it for, say it again, just three years and one month on the main roster. It's insane. It's beyond human comprehension that he is able to do this he's able to do it so consistently and he's able to do it so brilliantly truly guys yeah just before we wrap up i i said it last year when austin won mvp for i think the fourth time no is he the greatest in the course of the nine years then we've been doing this no Kurt Angle's won MVP and Worker of the Year multiple times in just the three years he's been in the WWF slash E. Already, he's got to be in the running for GOAT, hasn't he? He's got a long way to go before he touches Austin. Let's not lose sight of that. I I definitely agree. Like he's, I'm not saying he's anywhere close to Austin yet, but a part of me thinks his sort of versatility and the way that he can play a babyface and a heel so successively equally successfully and that he can do comedy and he can mix it up with different people he i think he's the closest to austin's versatility and the way that he can like you could thread him through a show in multiple scenarios i i, I think with angle the key thing is going to be consistency over the next couple of years staying healthy and if he can maintain his level in the ring and get better outside of it i mean 
He's going to have a contendership, but for me, I don't think anyone will ever be as good as Austin has, has been um, Like it, through 2001. I think that was truly unique. Yeah, we said it on the show, and I'll gladly say it again. Austin's 2001 was, well, was really Austin's heel run, just to be honest about this, from WrestleMania to Survivor Series. Those just eight months, I would put them alongside and above anybody else's eight months in the history of this or almost any other entertainment company and that needs to be taken into consideration even before you look at austin in 97 or 98 or to a lesser extent 99 uh, angle has just been in the red zone all the time um, he hasn't put a foot wrong and he has already got the compendium over the last three years that he could just wallow in the mid card in 2003 2004 uh, he could dog it to the degree that he ever could in the ring he could just cut generic bland promos but i don't think that would be too much in the debit column against him no because look what's there on the plus side already it's a resume to be very very proud of let's just briefly on that so you didn't vote for him here as mvp but that cut angle he's as we have said over here he's a bit special isn't he he is he is an amazing talent um Greatest of all time, I I would fight Flair in his prime on that, or Brett, even you know Hogan in the eighties. For those, um, does he have the potential? Yes. Is he there yet? No. But there is the potential. But I don't think any of those guys who you have rightly mentioned would have been even in contention for such an accolade after just three years of their professional career. That is very true. Um, you know, Flair in three years in was still fat and hadn't had the plane crash. Um, Hogan was generic jobber and probably still floating around in the AWA three years in. Um, Brett in ring, probably, you know, the Calgary style. Obviously, I haven't seen a lot of that because that is fucking hard to get hold of. Um maybe would have still had that Christmas in the ring that he had because he had it as soon as he turned up in the Fed. Um, but yeah, I don't think anyone's had this level of explosion in a three-year period. Um, I'm going to give my boy Brock three years and see where he is. Um, but again, as I said, I, I wouldn't... I'd, Angle's great, but he's not that level of great just yet. There's an all-time award of some description coming for Kurt Angle. One more time, everybody, before we wrap and head back out of the time machine. Never forget, my show-ish, my rules. Let's head back to the present. And we have returned to January 2023. The 10th end-of-year award show is in the books. And Chris Lacey, so we said at the top, it wasn't a vintage year, but as so often on the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, we've made the proverbial chicken salad, have we not, on this show? That's what we're here for, isn't it? You know, take take the dross that we're given and make it entertaining. Fuck, we it's did that with WC... Podcast, WCW, fucking hell! Yeah, we managed to leave that in the in the years of shit that it was at the back end. <laughs> we work miracles around here. We do indeed. Eric, I remember you saying 
a couple of years ago off air when we finished i think it was the 2000 end of year award show that we were going to take a major hit in 2002 when we only had one promotion to talk about you weren't far wrong my friend you weren't far wrong what's disappointing is that i think what this show has made me realize is that the the in-ring work is better than it's ever been we've never had a greater concentration of great in-ring workers as we do right now except for maybe like 1997 wcw but what all of this is saddled with is just some of the most egregious and offensive booking that's ever plagued North American professional wrestling. And it makes an ability to appreciate angles in ring work and, you know, everybody else's ascent. It makes it a little tough. So um, I, I do think that I've come to appreciate the in ring work in 2002 a lot more than I thought I would a couple of years ago looking forward to it having only ever seen it when it first aired uh, initially 20 years ago. The work is very good. The booking is, other than what Heyman's trying to do over on SmackDown, leaves a, a, a lot to be desired. And, and that's the, the big disappointment, I think, in uh, trying to find some enthusiasm for 2002. Uh, and, and, and I think we did, but I think it, they didn't make it easy on us. No, they definitely didn't. I think in-ring aside, which is fairly important, it must be said, or we make it important, I think a lot of 2002 has showed his showed its 20 years age in the way that many previous years we didn't with 20 years distance. They managed to hold up to at least some degree, even 1993 to 2013, for example. I don't think 2002 to 2022 really did that but chris white as i say to you this time every year we got there somehow but we got there yeah i i like how the awards we go through them because god it was rough going the first two thirds of this show i was like oh this year sucked and then by the end we talk about the best matches the best shows and the best wrestlers and the mvps and i'm like you know what i do like wrestling it's not all bad <laughs> very very mischievous question because i'm never going to get a chance to ask ask it again on this line of programming but has that tag team match been bettered in the wwe since and on this occasion i will allow nxt answers uh i would i would say it's up there would be the um revival american alpha tag matches some of them were fucking amazing um and the revival DIY stuff, but main show, no. Yeah, I, 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 nothing jumps out as like a definitive yes. It's hard. I can't rule out that there's something there, but I mean, I, I would be surprised. I think what we see is the influence of those workers and you know, not, not so much that match necessarily, because I don't think that, that match is particularly talked about historically as it needs to be. But I think what we see now is kind of the sequela of, of matches like that and of those guys. And I think what we see now are very self-aware tag team matches and very self-aware workers where we have to have these these hope spots. We have to have these heat spots. We have to have these myriad close finishes and near falls and et cetera. And Zabadaz, some people call it. Whereas I think this match, they just went out to have the best tag team match they could have. And so I think as far as like if wrestling is a real sport and we're supposed to watch it realistically, I don't think it's been taught because I think in the last 20 years, it's become so self-aware that it's hard to watch the match and think they're not playing wrestling, especially with tag teams. 
Yeah, when I was compiling my top 100 matches of all time for Place to Be Nation about three or four years ago now, I don't even think I considered another tag team match other than the, well, certainly later than the No Mercy 2002 one. In fact, just look, thinking about it now, I don't think any other non-TLC ladder match even made my list. The Hearts versus the Brainbusters from SummerSlam 89 was close, but I don't think anything else did. Now, that might speak some way towards my slight antipathy towards tag team wrestling, but even so, I don't think it's been better on the main roster in the ensuing 20 years. And it didn't even no, win no, on match of the year in timeline. To be clear, you're just talking about two-on-two traditional tag matches, right? Yes, but I'm happy for you to throw anything in the remaining 30 seconds we've got. I would just say historically, the Canadian Stampede five-on-five five oh, main yeah, event would yeah, be yeah, yeah, more, yeah. more historically an important tag team match, but not probably not as good as this one in ring. It should be said that I had that at like number six or something. So the historical importance definitely helped carry that. But the pure tag team wrestling, I think it's the one. And I just wanted to give a little bit of time to that at the end of the show, because like, over the seven, seven and a half years I've been doing this, I've been a bit sniffy about standard st- tag team wrestling here and there but wanted to throw at the bone it deserved after that amazing match at no mercy 02 but that is another award show in the books and all that remains for me now say thank you to my panel here chris lacy chris white and eric landstrom uh anybody got anything to plug before we wrap up for another year yes you can watch me talk about comic books on youtube at Sen and lacy's comics uh comic stash and also you like music reactions i'd do those too um lots about rammstein we do love rammstein ones um so yeah if you just follow the uh seven lacy comic stash uh, i'll take you to pop culture productions all the videos are there all the joy come along the water's lovely chris what eric anything to add as if you haven't said enough in the last two and a half hours <laughs> I, I do think the rest of the vocal cause is probably deserved nothing from me but thank you for another uh steering another very fun award show pleasure sir yeah i appreciate your effort here sir these are these are tough ones to compile and you always do a good job keeping us on track and i'll just say dan willing i missed you this year but it probably shaved a good 45 minutes off the recording time it was all a bit nice without dan welling here wasn't it this time just a bit just a little bit too consensual i only had to step in on one occasion it's just not good enough but i hope you enjoyed this show everybody and thank you for sticking with us through 2002 because it was a little bit uncertain for a bit there wasn't it but um thank you again so much for listening to this all the shows you've been listening to since august 1993 really and you will hear from us again right now hello everyone Rory here. I'm joined by Chris and Chris for the important announcement that was trailed in the show notes. And I'm not going to beat about the proverbial bush on this one, especially after the two and a half hour show that you have just sat through. Let's just get to it, shall we? No airs, no graces, just the cold hard facts. In a decision made collectively by the two Chrises, Dan Welling, Eric Landstrom, Bob Bamber, very importantly, and yours truly, I am here to confirm that our WrestleMania 19 show, which will go out in late March or early April, is going to be the final edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Yes, to some of you that might come as a shock, to some it might not, but we have decided for many, many reasons that now is the time to close the doors of the time machine for the very final time. It is, however, only right and proper, but I spell out some of those reasons for you. Just in case anybody thinks I woke up this morning and told everybody I couldn't be asked. We should knock it on the head because that's definitely not true. Let me run through some of the reasons for you now. Stories we had to tell 
have all been told. No matter how much we might like to convince ourselves otherwise, nothing will be as important as, say, Hogan to WCW, or the Monday Night Wars, or the formation of the NWO, or Montreal and the evasion, and everything else that we have rightly dedicated months of programming towards. Now, these were huge stories that, in many ways, are still shaping the business today. Other than the rise of Batista and Cena in autumn, there really isn't anything that's worth retelling in real time over the next few years that doesn't otherwise fall into the ultra niche category. Now, there is a reason most pro wrestling nostalgia deals with the 90s and the early 2000s. And I'll be honest, it would be little short of grossly offensive for us to try to cover someone like Zach Gowan in 2023 or Eugene in 2024, let alone Benoit in 2027. And also, just think about this. You watch a show from 1993, followed by one from 2003, you'd barely recognise you're watching something from the same profession, let alone the same promotion. Now jump from 2003 to 2023. Can you really see much of a difference? Another reason. Nothing is happening. There's a very good reason why our news portions have been so thin on the ground in recent months. Very little of note is actually happening. As I said on the September 2002 show, there's the sense the battle has been won, and that is reflected in there now being not a whole lot worthwhile to report. You know, it's no exaggeration to say that we are spending a lot of time pouring through the WWE notebook section of the PW Torch, just in the vain hope of finding something vaguely laudable, more often than not, in a losing effort. We've reached the natural end. WrestleMania 19 will be the final jumping off point for many of the people who have carried the contents of the show on their back for the previous 10 years. Rock goes, and yes, I know he faces Goldberg the next month. Austin, as anybody worth bothering about, goes. Hogan goes, pretty much. Uh, Rock and Angle coming perilously close to becoming just a guy each. Plowing on with what in many ways would be a B-level cast just doesn't seem interesting enough. And of course, WrestleMania 19 is a superb pay-per-view, spoilers, so in that regard, we would be ending on a high. I didn't even mention the reign of terror. Weight of the market. When this show started in 2013, retro wrestling podcasts were still relatively thin on the ground. Now you can't move with the fuckers. And they're all good, obviously. You never know who's listening. Timeline or not, anything we would deign to look at has already been covered everywhere, and I do it everywhere, many, many, many times. And also, contemporary wrestling podcasts started to spring up in 2003, 2004. So we can't even really say we're giving an original service in that regard anymore. The time taken to set up a show. I'm sure Eric Lanston won't mind me quoting him here. I don't want to have to work a 60 hour week and then spend my free time that weekend compiling the notes for Judgment Day 2003. And really, can anybody argue against that? For an average month's hosting, the TV, the pay-per-view, the reading, the note-taking, the recording, and the editing works out at around 25 hours. It does for me, at least, anyway. And with all the best stuff pretty much being behind us, I'm not sure the end really justifies the means. Uh, there's also a technical reason why we've decided to end very soon as well. well. We'll touch on this a bit more towards the end because it is quite important in that on Spotify and certain other providers, uh, we only have a limit of 300 shows. So, Simply put, we can't go on much longer anyway without removing the early programming, which we don't want to do. So there it is for now. I have got a few more things to say, but I am going to bring in the two Chris's to discuss anything I mentioned there or anything else they wish to jump on. Because, guys, this was, I want to stress, very much a collective decision. We have been talking about this for 
many months, maybe even a couple of years, if I'm perfectly honest. And as sad as it is, and I think we all knew this day would come at some point, and it is now very nearly upon us. So what do we think of um, doing a poor weather and getting out while we're ahead? Well, as you said, Rory, um, this has been doing the rounds for the last year or two. Um, I will quite happily say that I brought up the fact before we got to Mania 17 that that should be the end point and go out on a high. Yeah, I just said um, we discussed that as early as late 1998 in our timeline, 2018. So it's going to take a while to shake it off. In 2018, in real time, Lacey and I actually discussed ending at WrestleMania 17. We really did. Because, as you said, it was that thing of there's, there's the big everything culminates there. Um, my arm was twisted by, you know, people going, look, but you get some RVD. Um, so I went, all right, let's do the invasion. Because um, we all know that someone says RVD in my head turns um but yeah it is is a thing of i've lived through everything we've covered um i am old enough to have been watching since the 80s um so i have seen everything and as rory has said there is a stark difference between 80s to 90s and 90s to the early 2000s where we are at the minute but once we get into the reign of Cena versus Orton month in month out Cena versus Batista month in month out trips in his reign of terror and evolution and all the rest of it and it's it there is nothing different for 10 years we literally get 10 years of the same main events and as Rory said, there are countless podcasts that started in that sort of era going over the weekly events. There is not anything in this going forward that is in the scheme of wrestling history moments. Um, you know, there is only one company. There isn't the the war there isn't the big the big things like the screw job or the nwo um and i know we we did an amazing job covering owen um when owen passed i really don't want to have to try and do a show in timeline about benoit i don't think we could do benoit out of timeline you know, and either either of those, and I would want to do it, quite frankly. Yeah, so there, you know, there's there's nothing in there that makes you want to do it. That, in theory, that is the 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 next big moment, um, and it ain't something that you really want to touch on. Um, so yeah, it is a logical point for us um, to call it a day, um, because as we said everyone that we've followed in these last 10 years comes to an end and until we get to what when when was the network 2014 2015 yeah when we get nxt and you get your romans your sammies your sefs and the the you know the summer of punk and things like that there's no change for 10 years and as I said we don't we don't really want to be putting in the 30 hour days to 
make the show for for what that is and i don't think for the audience there's really enough meat on the bones or things to to warrant you putting in the effort as as a listener to listen to it I'll happily stick my hand up here and I was one of the voices that when these discussions first started happening um, more recently post WrestleMania 17 but still a good 18 months ago I was probably one of the people more firm in that maybe we should plug on past WrestleMania 19 and I, I, I maybe thought that WrestleMania 20 might have been a good end point and there are a couple of reasons for that. One is John Cena wins his first title in the WWE and that felt like a nice bookend of like one ear into another and then we'd also get to cover Goldberg's time in the Fed and uh, him and obviously Brock would depart after that Wrestlemania and a few things like you get like Eddie winning the WWE Championship the month before that show and but then you kind of take a step back and the main event of that show Chris Benoit winning in the main event in that triple threat match and to do an in timeline show about that match and the emotion of it and stuff it does feel quite difficult to me I've never really found covering uh, Benoit in timeline that that hard I think I can quantify and, and box it off but I think because that is like a crowning moment of a in-ring career and the emotion of it and him being there with Eddie and stuff and that how that night plays out a part of me is like that would actually be quite difficult that's not the only reason we've not gone to 20 I mean as these two have already spoken about like the, the year in between 19 and 20 doesn't justify the workload and I think None of us involved in the project, none of the hosts, none of the guests, and certainly none of the listeners, I would imagine, would want half-arse shows. We don't want to be diminishing the quality of this podcast that that dozens of people have worked on over the last, what, nine, ten years to give you in-depth monthly coverage in timeline with good analysis and interesting things to talk about. I don't think we want to water that down by becoming a show that just half asses quick pay-per-view reviews because we can't be asked and don't want to watch weekly TV just to get to a end point that also has its problems in WrestleMania 20. So I just, I, I think, and as we've got closer to WrestleMania 19, I I, I would have flipped and I think if we were just talking about this now for the first time I would be voting to end it at 19 and and ultimately to be honest it's it's unanimous you know there's no one now within the hosts who would say oh come on let's keep it going it's a unanimous joint decision and I think it feels like the right time in so many of our personal lives because of the amount of work it takes and we we have covered everything we wanted to do there are times maybe behind the scenes where maybe it looked like we wouldn't even get to WrestleMania 17 occasionally. Like, like there's a, there's a timeline here where when Bob leaves that maybe the show doesn't get carried on as like it does, you know, like it's been a lot of work, particularly when there were three volumes every month and things like that. 
and there are times post Bob where we could have ended it and I, I'm really pleased we carried on past 17 I think covering the invasion was really worthwhile um, maybe not in terms of our viewing pleasure but certainly in terms of the podcast we produced so I think this is a really bittersweet moment a really bittersweet announcement but I think it's ultimately the entirely right decision even though I've had my doubts across the last 18 months but I'm sort of relieved to say that as we approach WrestleMania 19 and that show, and it will be one hell of a show that we put out, I think it's it just feels right. And for all the different reasons Rory's already covered. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, yeah, I just want to hop on your point that you made towards the end, that this podcast could have ended very easily in March, April 1998, you know, because this was Bob's show. All of us had had a go. Uh, hosting at that at that point and preparing the shows but this was still very much Bob's baby at that point so when he just was out and out burnt out on pro wrestling in early 2018 perfectly every right to do then you know it was really the three of us on this show right now who thought no 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 you can't end it now Austin's just won the WWF title for the first time you're ending now are you crazy Austin McMahon for eight months to talk about first or the four years really if you want to look at it like that and there was still so much that needed to be covered. And certainly from my perspective, I was very much a WWF guy when I was watching this stuff live in the late 90s. Uh, certainly when I was on WCW shows, 98, 99, 2000, I genuinely didn't know what was happening other than the really, really big stuff. So one of the conceits about this show is that we say we pretend we don't know what's happening next. It's not really quite as simple as that sometimes and I think that's one of the things we can absolutely hang our hat on as regards this show you know we treated it as if these things really were happening with very very few timeline slips well, I did have to edit a few out once or twice but <laughs> we all did it a few WWE's in 1998 and what have you but just to go back to my original point when Bob moved on there was still a lot of hugely important stories that needed to be told in real time but now I think we've done them all and as you guys have both alluded to, I wouldn't want to half-arse this just for the sake of it. 2003 is a slog, right? We have three, because we do the UK pay-per-views, of course, or we would have three Kevin Nash and Triple H main events coming up in April to June. And I think excessive probably isn't even the right word. And I'm not even going to mention about carrying on until the end of 2011 <laughs> when Kevin Nash crops it again. So I'm pleased to say we won't be doing that. Uh, I just think we've done everything we need to do as far as this podcast is concerned when it began with Lucas choking in August 1993. Let alone uh, I, all of our changes in our personal circumstances and how different all of our lives are in the 10 years we've been doing this. And say, so, not an easy decision, but I do honestly believe it is the correct one. So what happens now? Well, for the next couple of months, dear listener, you won't notice any difference whatsoever. Not a bloody thing. Our January 2003 show, hosted by me, with a very special wrestling podcast guest we've been very lucky to get. That one will be coming out towards the end of January and will, as normal, be all the news, all the TV and focusing on the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. Then February, we hand over to Chris Lacey. We'll be hosting, looking at the No Way Out pay-per-view, all the news and TV and the first WrestleMania build. Bog standard, normal, in timeline shows with no reference whatsoever to the end. Going to treat them completely normal, 
as to why I'm doing this now and not waiting a couple of months down the line. Normal January 03 show, normal February 03 show. Then we get to WrestleMania, which will be hosted by the core presenting team, if you will. All three of us, plus Eric Landstrom, who you heard earlier, of course, and Dan Welling, who I don't think is like the Queen. I think it only has one birthday a year, so I think he will be joining us for that one. And that will be a full match-by-match WrestleMania 19 review. As of recording on January the 9th, 2023, I and we do not know what else we will be doing on that particular show, but we'll be out of the ordinary. There'll be a big goodbye at the end for the five of us, no question. Will there be a few special appearances on there? I don't know. That's the honest answer at this point. I'm not pretending, I'm not, you know, flying any kites. or I genuinely don't know at this point. If it does become clear at the WrestleMania 19 show, I'll make sure you know about it on social media beforehand. But we will do something in addition to a standard review. And guys, I've got one more thing to talk about before we go, but just... I think it is right that for the next three months, we do try to keep things as normal as possible to avoid being a bit, well, just a bit maudlin about all this, really, because we have still got a couple of things to tidy up yet. Yes, we do. Um, there is there is obviously the build going in to, to Mania, um, which, as with all of our shows, obviously we will cover all the comings, goings and happenings why you can uh, see the joy of the big show again for at least a little bit longer. We should have ended things sooner, to be honest. <laughs> if you'd have had your way, it would have been what? The day before February Survivor and... Series, last last 2002, the day before, maybe? Halloween Havoc 95, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is, it is one of those, of, uh, there are definitely things and stuff that we will be covering in the the way that we do so uh usual viewing will still be there for you i'm sure some of you are asking what will happen next the next show to land on the feed will be a reposting of our very very first program from way way back in august 2013 in which we get to look at the wwf wcw and ecw all on the same show now bob has requested that one gets reposted and you know Ultimately, he's still in charge of this thing. So that one will be going up probably round about end of April, May time. After that, well, the feed itself will continue. So if you've only come across us in the last couple of months, thank you for joining us. And you've just started on your journey through the 10 years of podcasting and you're worried that you might get stuck round about January 95 WCW and not even a reviving elbow can save you. Don't worry. All of the old shows will remain up for you to work through again and again, as they say. However, possible important caveats. And this goes back to the thing I mentioned earlier, that our show limits that we do have of around about 300 shows. I won't go into the science of it, mainly because I don't really understand it. But it may very well be that some of the special shows we have done over the last 10 years, such as the UFC programming that Chris White was involved in, some of the live watch alongs, such as Heroes of Wrestling, Lacey, remember that one? Your anniversary specials, uh, some of the quizzes, which were a blast. It may very well be that they need to be taken to the flames by the end of March. So I would recommend if you want to listen to those out of timeline, non-canonical shows that you trawl through the archives, pretty damn sharpish because they may, could be wrong, but my understanding is that they may not be around forever. 
But the main month-to-month shows, looking at all three main promotions, will very much stay intact from now until and very possibly beyond the end of time. This might not be the last you've heard of us, new programming on the feed, but I want to temper anybody right now. I don't want anybody to die wondering that there could be new monthly programming on this feed. There won't be. It will be a while until you hear from us. But we are giving ourselves the freedom with the feed still running, thanks to Bob, which he didn't have to do, by the way. To offer some more programming, basically, as we see fit. So Lacey, for example, has talked about doing the ECW one night stand pay-per-views when they roll around with 20 years distance in what would be June 2025 and 2026. And if we fancy doing that, then we could. We have discussed a very special award show that could be coming up at some point in the future. If we wanted to do that, then we could. So intermittent programming, basically, I'm going to say it now, when we feel like it, we'll still be landing at times on this feed. We're keeping the social media open. So if that does happen, we will let you know in good time. But don't expect regular programming. Don't even expect irregular programming with a bit of a pattern to it. We did mention possibly just looking at, say, big four pay-per-views. We might do that. We might not do that. It's really entirely up to us how we feel at any time. But I just want to put this on the record now as well. This feed will not become a dumping ground for a new pro wrestling podcast or any other ideas. So this isn't going to change. This isn't going to be the first 10 years just going to be stuffed in a drawer somewhere. But this is going to be a brand new wrestling podcast. That's not going to happen. And shows will definitely happen less often than more often. But we have, as I say, got the freedom to do that if we wish. And guys, I think that's kind of a nice compromise because we can just hop on, review a pay-per-view and say we would try to keep them with 20 years distance. But so as not to interfere with the canonical shows, they wouldn't be in timeline. They'd be far more leisurely. There wouldn't be any news or anything like that. We just watch the pay-per-views and review them. Yes, as I said earlier, many other wrestling podcasts do that. But it means that we all get to stay in touch and do this wrestling thing as well. So, guys, what do you think of that decision? Even though there probably won't be too many of them in the near future. But it sounds like a perfect opportunity to announce my new podcast venture, the Wrestling 30 Years Ago podcast, starting <laughs> later this year. Um, no. Uh, <coughs> yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, to be honest... I, all I have really to add is that I like look forward to doing more shows that we're passionate about. You know, when East, when One Night Stand does roll around and Lacey does that, that's going to be awesome because it's going to be Lacey talking about shows he enjoys and things he likes and the fun part of pro- professional wrestling rather than an obligation to cover dross, <laughs> you know, like that we like willingly signed up to at times. You know, we've had some, a lot of good as well as the bad that's what this project is it's 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 all of it isn't it It, we don't cover just the highlights we cover everything and it's in timeline and therefore historically authentic um but i look forward to having the opportunity down the line one day maybe to pick and choose our spots a little bit and i feel like we've earned that part-time wrestlemania level status at this point in our podcasting uh, careers um, and the other sort of thing I want to end on really is that uh, I'm really grateful that Bob took a shot on a guy like me who'd never 
done a podcast and brought me in when he had a lot of guests on and they were all fantastic and it wasn't long before he asked me if I wanted to host a few episodes and I didn't really think that a decade on I'd be hosting a lot of episodes and I've made some great friends met some great people and uh like that's not going to change like I I hope we can have another meet up at some point maybe money in the bank later this year who knows maybe not we'll see that's a discussion for another time but certainly not my money in the bank right now I <laughs> yes yeah very much the same um and unless someone's uh winning some money in the bank and paying for us all yeah yeah that'd be yeah, if, yeah but just uh i have a tremendous amount of gratitude for being a part of this project uh the people i've spoken to and met along the way and uh the fun i've had talking to those people about wrestling and the gratitude I have to people who've listened to me talk about wrestling 20 years ago. It's been an absolute blast. And it's been great to have you, Chris, but we'll save our proper goodbyes for a couple of months. So Lacey, anything we've mentioned so far, or do you just want to yeah. talk about or about the possibilities for the future? And I stress again, it's the only possibilities. Yeah. It's the thing is there are going to be moments that as the feed lives on that, we may want to touch with that 20 years view you know me doing the the two ecw shows is a definite for me um maybe looking at the summer of punk 20 years down the road that could be something you know there are there are touchstone moments that are still to come but not enough to warrant as you said doing it week in week out or month in month out should i say um but you know starting this you know i'm i'm one of the old old i am the oldest one still on the show you know starting back in that first year um so you know i've i've been here for the long haul and coming out of this i did super brawls for a bit i did a music podcast i now do a youtube channel and talking comic books and stuff and none of that would have happened if it wasn't for me randomly yakking with bob and going I'll jump on. I, you know, I live through it. It'll be, it'll be fun. And then my sweary ass comes in and you know takes over ECW and the filth, and we 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 get to where we are now. Um. So yeah, you know, we do all have to, you know, thank Bob for his madcap idea of doing it back in the day. Um. And yeah we will you know there is that thing that we will come back for bits but it will be as white you said um for stuff that we want to do not stuff that we have to do absolutely well, working well. the working that Brock Lesnar schedule or <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted for the Chris White 100 part life and times of Paul White's podcast uh, in conjunction with wrestling 30 years ago <laughs> yeah wrestling 30 years ago apart from the bits for the big shows there <laughs> i just thought it was going to be a 30 year run through all of the highs and lows of big show in all of his uh comings and goings maybe this forever. is a good time to say i don't actually particularly mind the big show in in terms of like more modern day wrestling like if i was to take like the last 10 years of big show like say <laughs> like i don't mind him he's he, he hasn't like annoyed me but there's something about that this his wwf run that like unlocks something in me I, and i i don't think i knew how shit he was to be <laughs> honest. um 
and it surprised me. But there we go. But go back and discover everybody all the way from our February 99 WWF show. You can hear those four years of Chris White. Uh, I've known him for seven and a half years myself now. He's not the guy I first met at the end of 2015. After the, absolutely not. No, 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 no. no the, the, the cheeky chappy I knew in 2015, all, all very well and good. But as soon as the big show throws Steve Austin through the cage, it's a Valentine's Day massacre. No, he's never been the same since. They've worn me down. They've worn me down. <laughs> yes, just, just a serious point to finish. Uh, very simply, I want to do podcasts about other things. And I've got some very exciting ideas in the pipeline. And you will hear about them first, dear listener. Might not be your thing, but I'd be very happy if you did come on the journey with me. But that journey would never have begun if Bob hadn't put out a tweet in October 2015, where he said, always looking for contributors for the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And I've been listening for probably about six or seven months at that point. I'd gone back through all the archives, too. And I thought, yeah, what the hell? No, I didn't expect him to follow me five seconds later. DM me 30 seconds later and then say November 95 WCW show one minute later. So quite the baptism of fire from somebody who had never done anything remotely approaching podcasting before. I've done some stuff for community radio 10 years earlier, but not sure that really counts. So I have to thank Bob uh, and listeners. You have to blame Bob for me ending up taking over general manager role uh, from humble beginnings and all that. But I will forever be indebted to Bob for taking a chance on me. He didn't have to do that. No, when he gave me the 60 names to read out from the World War III 95 Battle Royal 10 minutes into my first show, no, I could easily have given up the ghost myself at that point. <laughs> Maybe that was the real test, but I came through it for better or worse. And it would have been an honour and a privilege just to appear on one episode of this fantastic show. And even then, I could never have dreamed that I would have been in such a position, but I was from mid-2018 onwards to really take this show forward and support it by magnificent hosts and a superb team of contributors. I don't want to get too dewy-eyed at this point because the proper goodbyes are still two months away, but I will have many, many happy memories. And as much as a slog as the watching and the writing, and my God, the editing can be, I think Bob Bamba himself put it best when he said, the best thing about doing this podcast is doing this podcast. Just say we recorded the end of year reward show that you would have heard earlier. We recorded that yesterday as we do this. And the very first thing we said when we all came off air was, guys, just great to chat about wrestling for two and a half hours. And I really think that shines through in all the shows that we have been on and everybody has been on in the last 10 years, even some of the shit stuff. Maybe even predominantly during the shit stuff. You know, we've, we've, we've held each other together when we really had to. And I have made some fantastic lifelong friends during the course of this podcast. I've spoken to people via the social media all over the world, just chatting about this crazy thing we call wrestling. And I wouldn't change that even if I could. And I've definitely said far too much already. A, the show is three hours long and B, save something for the big goodbye in March, April, McNamara. But I have been Rory McNamara from Chris Lacey and Chris White. We have been, and for a couple of months are still, the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And we will see you in January 2003.